Hey yo, welcome to Reflections of a DJ Road Podcast. Um, we're here in Los Angeles. I'm DJ Crooked, Jamie the Great, yep. DJ Never, yep. DJ D Miles, and yes, uh, yo, we got a special guest, one of my dear, dear friends. Hi, Mr. Rockticon. <laughs> Hi. So, uh, What's good, man? Oh, uh, nothing. I'm a little tired. You're a little tired? Yeah. I got you up here early. It's a little... It's not early, but... Well, I was here early because you were not ready for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning stages. <laughs> yeah, we were setting up. We were having technical difficulties. Yeah, okay. Shit like that. Thanks for coming through. Thank you for having me. Uh, you've been, like, texting me off and on in our Ross One group chat, kind of annoyed at certain things and like laughing at certain things and shit oh well, on the podcast yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's entertaining <laughs> i like it i think you do a good job all right good looks good looks <laughs> so uh i guess everyone knows you as shit you were kind of the golden boy uh in the 2000 the mid 2000s to 2010 era okay you, you were the golden child i don't know about that but <laughs> <laughs> but you was like in new york you was killing it he was doing marquee upstairs. Yeah. And then we you were kind of our like um for me, I was like, yo, Rock's gonna make it. Rock's gonna make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You bet wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on, man. And uh this is probably the mashup era, right? Yeah, whatever you want to call it. It's called the two thousands. The two thousands. We met in New York. Yeah. Our first time meeting was at Happy Valley. Happy Valley, which was the old social club. I don't remember what it was before, but no, I, yeah. And then that uh, was a, that was a weird fucking club. Yeah, that was when you were at Canal Room Friday, and I was there on Saturday. Right. But we didn't know each other. We didn't know each other. But but you did Friday, and I did Saturday. And I heard you, and I was talking to a chick who was a bartender at Happy Valley. And that Asian girl. The Asian girl. She moved over to that other club too. When they, that crowd kind of moved to that other spot, it was kind of narrow. I was DJing there too. I can't remember. I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah. And fuck. What was was this in Manhattan? This is in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. It was on 20 something street on the east side. And I, she was telling me she would come home or like after work, she'd be like, yo, like, she come check the, the DJ. <laughs> It's pretty good. I was like, "Work." It's the worst thing to hear from know, a girl I, you're okay with. This like, other DJ is pretty good. Yeah, like he's good. Like, and I was like, "Oh, like how? Like, is he like? You know, how good is he? Because you want to know if he's better than you, <laughs> Does right? He yeah. blend well. Like, no, like he. Plays, well, oh, what do you mean he's good? Like what? What? So she was like, "Oh yeah, you know, he like plays a lot of old, like a lot of old shit I haven't heard, and he's just really good. Like you should come check him out." So I was like, "All right, you know, let me go check him." And I think I got off early somewhere. And I caught him like maybe like the last half hour. And that was by far like the most flaming club I've ever, like the way it was decorated, the way the staff was dressed, remember? Yeah, it was, they did a bunch of gay parties there. That's what, yeah. The booth was in a big disco ball. <laughs> it was in the disco, was it elevated or no? It was elevated, yeah. It was up a little bit. So it was like an elevated disco ball. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a cool part that there were these like stairs, right? That guy still owes me money. <laughs> Yo, there was like the bartenders were shirtless. Yeah. Were they wearing thongs or something? I don't I don't oh. I don't know. They had bow ties though, right? I something I, weird like that. It's something like, like Chippendales. That. It was yeah, it was borderline, man. Like yeah. the bar yeah, I remember like trying to get a drink 
And like, yeah, it was like a shirtless dude. And I'm like, damn, man. <laughs> and I think my girl, the, the bartender that I was talking to was like counting money or some shit. It was like near the end of the night. But he was just doing these dope mixes. like, And I was like, damn, man, this motherfucker's killing it. And I waited for you. And then you were like packing up. You were leaving. I'm like, yo, what's up, man? I'm, I'm crooked. And you were just like, yeah. You're <laughs> to- you were actually kind of nice. Yeah, you want to paint me out to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we had a nice conversation. Yeah, it yeah. was totally fine. What are you talking about? And I, did you, you said... But you were, a li- you were a little more urban then. I was more urban? You're probably drinking a hand yo, I'm crooked. Nice to meet you, fam. What's up? And, and then you were like... <laughs> he was real. It was a little more urban back then. Nah, nah. Yeah. I was just, uh, you, were, you said you were Rocktacon? I probably was like, I'm Andy. I don't know. Pro- and they said, like, know. yo, like, I'm Rocktacon. And we were talking. I don't know what we were talking about. I was like, yeah, it's really dope. And I think we found out that you're at Canal Room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he gives me a card. And the card said, Andrew Brown. DJ Andrew Brown. Remember <laughs> that? I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> what, what happened is um, I was at Marquee. And I, or I forget how, but I sort of connected with Steve Lewis, who did all the old he was a tunnel not he was at like tunnel and limelight he was sort of a gation right hand man yeah he went to jail uh steve lewis did time with uh for the tunnel stuff and anyways he was out he was no longer in jail obviously and um he was like you need to be andy brown not like this rock to con thing and i was kind of newish to new york and i and people were giving me work so I just said yes, and it, it ended up being like a mistake because it was a year where I was Andy Brown and not Rocticon on flyers and stuff, and it was confusing. And it's not, it's weird because I'm not a like, yo, what's up? I'm Rocticon. You know what I mean? Right, right. I'm not that guy. But for work, it was a mistake. I shouldn't have used my real name. Well, I don't know why. Just be, it just didn't work. I'm like when a DJ, I'm Rocticon. The every other hour of the day, I'm not. But for whatever reason, it was a mistake to use the, that name. Well, he thought I could be sort of like a Ronce, like yeah, that kind of at thing. At the time, Mark it, everyone had their real name. Yes. Elio Escobar, Mark Ronson. Yes. Um, Todd Eric Malice. Todd, yeah, Todd. Todd Malice. Todd's out in right. Venice. Eric LePoe. Eric LePoe. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who was also the other one that kind of came up around Marshall Barnes? No, stereo. whoa, 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 Back up. Frank Who was the kid? Frank LaFleur. Remember that dude? Yeah. From Brooklyn, I think. Barely. I mean, Peter Parker. But yeah, it was it was that time. And I think I think Steve thought I had the talent to be one of those type of DJs, but I really didn't have the pedigree. You know, I was in I don't even think it was like first of all, you do have the type you you are that DJ. But they wanted to market you to like a higher class, a higher end. Right, right that's there. what I'm saying. I, I, I didn't have the pedigree. I'm from fucking Virginia. I don't know how to talk to these pe- these New York wealthy people. There's a sort of way of being. We talk about this all the time. Yeah, there's a sort of way of yeah. being that I can kind of fake it now, but I couldn't then. And I was kind of, I've always been kind of wild. I'll always say some wild shit. And then it just didn't make sense for right. me. Mm. Well, when I first met him, I remember like literally the the first 10 minutes we were talking and I got your card. I'm like, what's Andrew Brown? And you're like, well, that's my real name. I might just switch it over. 
And I was like, are you crazy? I'm like, Rock the Con is the best DJ name I've ever heard. Like, it really is. Where'd Rock you the get, Con? Where'd you get Rock the Con from? Brother? Yeah. Uh, when I first, first started DJing, I was making the tape and I just had to come up with a name. And I was friends with a lot of like break dancers, b-boys or whatever. And so the rock, it's always like rock steady and all the b-boy names have like rock in them or this or that. And so that that's always been the thing. And then I was like, well, I'm an 80s kid. And we were kind of thinking about using this Transformers thing my buddy found on the internet. This is like early internet, really early. Um, so I just made up the name from there. It was sort of like Transformers and hip hop. Oh, it sounds man. so corny, but no, it's dope. It sounds so dope. <laughs> I think it's one of the dopest names to this day. Rock the Con. Yeah. Uh, so when we, I want to go back, and then we met, and we'll we'll go go on from there. But I want to go back because I don't even know. Like I want to know how you got into DJing. What the fuck? Because we all like, you know, we all like, I, we all experience one thing, and we're like, yo, I want to do that, or I want to try that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So like, um. I want to know, I don't know where in VA you're from. Like, I'm from Alexandria. It's like just across the river. And for some reason, I don't know, I would talk with Sean Perry, but he would like paint this picture that you grew up like an eight mile of like Virginia. No, no, not, <laughs> not at all. Like not at all. Uh, trailer parks? Um, yeah, I just pictured like Rocticon. Like, Rocticon was a, the like nah, I mean, M&M. Like I'm, with I'm, no shoes outside no, of a trailer park home or something. I'm from Alexandria, so yeah. middle, upper middle class. Um... Mm, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a lot of government people. It's a lot of lawyers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The neighborhood I grew up in is pretty nice. My parents' house went up in a, a lot since they bought it. Right. Um, is that it, close to like DC area? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's okay. right. It's it's right in DC. It's like it, the easiest way to describe it is I googled it once. The if you wanted to walk to the White House, it's five five six miles. Oh, yeah. So you can you got to walk across the river, but you could walk to DC. It's like four miles to DC or what something. What was the like music? That. What I mean, it was like was it DJ Cool? Like what is uh, you know what I mean? Oh, like on the radio. What's the DC shit? Go 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 go. Yeah, yeah, and then a little Baltimore club music too. But go go is the big thing in DC. Um, PA PA tapes, which is tape live. It's like a live concert on a tape. That was that was big when I was a kid. Like so, does that what you, you grew was, up on pretty much or? Nah, I'm, I grew up on our musical journey. would be like, I'm a kid. I listen to what my parents listened to. is like Blondie, ABBA, and classic rock. And then my bro- I had an older brother, and they, they started getting into classic rock and stuff like that, which was I was into because it was what my brother and his friends were into. But that died quickly. I got really in- When I was like 12 or something like that, I got really into like alternative, like The Cure and all that kind of stuff. And then I got into raves and got into hip hop. So it was not, I wasn't like, so like someone like Ross or you guys grow up sort of like purely hip hop. I was not that at all. You said you were in raves, right? Yeah, I was all over the place. Like what, 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 how did you get into raves? It was just like warehouse parties or some shit? It's what what was going on. And there was a big scene in Baltimore and DC and we used to drive to a lot of the clubs in Baltimore. It's like about an hour drive. So I, I don't know anything about Baltimore except ba- be more Baltimore house at that time. Was that something that always existed, kind of? Yeah, I mean, to, it didn't always exist. It came out of the house scene or whatever. Right, and right. They started making their own records. But um, 
But was that like in the 2000s? Not in the no, 90s no, 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 no. It was in the 90s. Yeah, it was. like early 90s. Just, it, it just came out of, I think it came out of Hip House. Kind of like They that. just kept making their own shit. Like kind of like a mix of like that Miami, like 120 BPM kind of shit. Yeah, I and mean, mixed with like vocal house. And yeah, mixed with that shit. Ha- house was real big in Baltimore. Like Teddy Douglas from the Basin Boys is from out there. There's a bunch of house producers from and stay to still live in Baltimore. Like Charisma's Baltimore. He just had a huge record this past year. It's on like the Microsoft commercials and stuff. You'd know it if you heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, Teddy Douglas did the uh, Crystal Waters and all that stuff. Oh damn! And he's from Baltimore. And so house was just big in Baltimore. Baltimore's real black. There's a, it was just a big scene, and I feel like those dudes just started making their own records. And there's a little bit of hip hop to it, to some of them, like you know. Right, so there's right. like the house scene, but then they're kind of like crossover. They'll do hip hoppy house records, and they just kept making them. I think. And then, so it would be on the radio. You would hear a set of that stuff, and then Percolator and all the little house mm-hmm. classics, bam, 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 in the mix shows with the hip hop. Mm-hmm. And in DC. They wouldn't play the go-go so much on the radio uh, in the same way that early in, a, in New York, they wouldn't play hip-hop on the radio because it's, oh, it's, it's violent. It's really or, urban. Well, it's right, urban, yeah. yeah. And the radio- this, the guy's, radio- this guy's yelling on the mic and he's just- Yeah. yeah. And so it would, go-go would be in like a little show or something like that. On the even, weekends. Yeah. Even in you know, the late 90s before, and early 2000s before I moved to New York, certain at certain black clubs, the club owner would be like, don't play the go-go like to the djs because i would carry records to these guys and i'd see them at certain venues they could do a go-go set and at another venue they couldn't do a go-go set and it's, it's all black venues but certain ones like oh, i don't play the go-go set and we don't do that here it's like bougie it's kind of like when i would do when i would have gigs in like san fran or oakland or san jose they'd be exactly. like don't play any hyphen no ex- exactly yeah, yeah. it was the same kind of thing but and the go-go scene was you know got a bad rap i wasn't really a part of it i was it's a segregated town. It's like white kids kind of did their white kid thing and black kids did black kid thing. And yeah. people, we, where the schools I went to were super integrated, but socially they're very segregated. Like I remember like first grade, you know, in first grade, the kid, you're a kid, you invite everybody in your class to your birthday party, but nobody, like nobody showed up to the black kid's birthday party. Like, oh, except man. for me and like one other kid. <laughs> except for me. <laughs> My parents were just like, no, you got invited to the party, you go. But it's fucking Virginia. And this is, we're talking like, you know, 1982 or whatever, 84. And you just, you know, things were fucking, you don't talk about it, but it was, it was there big time. <laughs> Damn. So what got you into DJ? Uh, going to raves. And you would, they would book some hip hop DJs and stuff at some of that stuff. And what? I remember being somewhere... And hearing sort of songs I knew, like this house DJ played, uh, like Gap Band, You Dropped a Bomb on Me in a house set. And somebody else was playing a New Order song in their house set. And I was like, oh, okay, I get this. Like, I know what that is. I know what that is. I can learn what this weird techno music is. And I see how they're putting it all together. I was like, I want to do that. What was it? Was it the, the piecing all of these different genres of music together? Was that interesting to you that you liked and creating, like bringing? That, that, wasn't, that wasn't it at first. I think it at Was first, it the control? It was just the whole thing. It was the just, whole thing. It, the whole thing is amazing. At the time, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life. It gives you a whole life. You have record stores and this weird community and there's not right. that many people to do it. 
people don't really understand it. You have this thing that's sort of y'alls. Right. The small, and DC's small and kind of boring. And so that community is small and it's exciting and it's different. And yeah, I was in high school and it's like a couple of us were into this stuff. And it's, it's like you were living in a secret world that no one even could fathom. So did you save up, get them t- turntables? Oh, yeah. Um, what were your first turntables? Like a Gemini. I, okay, so... Bell drive or direct? So <laughs> I was doing a lot of drugs and shit, going to raves, doing a lot of drugs. And then I stopped. Wait, that, what kind of drugs? Like whatever. Anything? Yeah. I mean, it was... I didn't have any money, so it wasn't like we were smoking crack. Yeah. But, you know, I would fucking... I'd eat, a, eat a acid. I'll freebase some ecstasy <laughs> what do you got you know and i was like one of those kids oh i'll eat that i'll do that i don't care whatever right and so i stopped doing that and i got into i was got into djing and i worked i was a lifeguard and i lifeguarded all summer to save up to buy these gemini's and the way i did it was i didn't buy them from somewhere every thursday i went and got the city paper which is sort of like the village voice and I would go through the classifieds looking for someone selling turntables. And so eventually, when I had enough money, I, I had enough money and finally found an ad and it was this dude selling. I got two Geminis and the big, that 19 inch one with the sampler. Right, right. I know, you. I heard it's you talk about that before. It's like a four channel, six channel mixer. Oh yeah, it was yeah. huge. <laughs> and, and for the next two years, I kept trying to figure out how to get like a better mixer so I'd get good at scratching or whatever, but not really realizing that I just need to practice. It's like, oh, I need a better needle. Oh, I need a better mixer. It's more, I just need to practice. It was hard though. I didn't, it, it's not, it really wasn't like New York. It wasn't in the culture of the town. Right. So I, I, I didn't know how to beat match. I didn't, I didn't under, no one was there to be like, it works like this. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, it took me a long time to f- sort of figure it out. Yeah, like basically, like you got the bass, the one and the two, right? I didn't bass know. Bass and the snare, boom. I, yeah, boom, I didn't. Boom. I didn't know that any of that stuff. No, I just started to piece what it was, together. What what pieced it together? Because I had to do the same thing. Where I, I kind of taught myself, but there was some there was some kids from Jersey that used to come to the man. They would show me some shit, and it basically came down there like, yo, just always match it on the snare. The kick, yeah. kick, what what happened kick, for me yeah. is this. We used to go to all the clubs, like tracks and fifth column and stuff. And a lot of my friends were dancers. And this kid that was a B-boy, Blunt was his name. He lived in Arlington. And he was like, oh, you got turned. And I had a tape. And he was like, oh, you're doing this wrong. And so he came through and was like, show me a few things and help me get on the right track a little bit. And I started to learn how to beat match. And it took a long time, though. What was the initial music you were mixing was it hip-hop uh, or was it house yeah so i was buying some house records yeah but as soon as i you know who actually was one of the djs the first djs i saw really play hip-hop was ani because ani, ani yeah ani used to tour in the rave scene because he oh, was right. he was part of the third delight record and so i would see ani was delight's dj yeah yeah, yeah. Totally yeah 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 ani was part of the third delight record and he was he was kind of a big DJ in the American rave scene. And he would come and do, you know, your Eric B and Rakim paid in full six minute mix and mix sort of the really obvious classic hip hop with some breaks and beats and play some house and stuff. And as soon, as soon as I saw that, I was like, this is for me. We also, I got this tape 
and I don't know, I think the guy's from North Carolina, it was called First Class. His name was First Class and it was an old school hip hop. And I still am ripping mixes off that tape to this day. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like I stole two or three mixes from that tape and just ran with them. But that tape was one of those things. It was like, this is what I want to do. Wow. And it was like, you know, Fear was for rock, like rocking it and Ultra Magnetic MCs, Gangstar, all that stuff. And it was mixed so well. The cutting was so good. And that tape sort of was, I was like, oh, I want to do this. That's crazy. I, I didn't really see myself when I started. I was like, I was trying to make beats. I wanted to be a producer, but I just wanted to do scratches on my beats like Premiere. Mm -hmm. So like my fascination in the beginning stages was just literally like making beats and I want to do some like little smile scratches for beats. And it wasn't until I saw, uh, I, used to, I used to rap back in the day and then Boogie Blind was my DJ. He's great. Yeah. So Boogie Blind, uh, shout to Boogie uh, from West Harlem. And I was in Spanish Harlem at the time. He would come to my crib and he would make mixtapes. And it was then that I saw him making mixtapes that I was like, I would actually see him like, you know, uh, you know, slowing the dish down to mix and then like echoing certain shit out. And I was like, oh shit, you know. And I was like, nah, maybe I could do this to make some money in the clubs. Yeah. And then that's when it planted the seed in and my boy asked me to do a party. And then I was like, fuck it, let me do it. Because I was broke and I needed the money anyway. But I think that's funny that it works out like that. Yeah, I mean. So then you started DJing and stuff. And then when did you start doing clubs? Were you doing house parties? Were you doing uh, that shit? A little bit of house parties and stuff. I wasn't very good for a long time. And I was really, I was a kid. I was really hungry, but not that good. So I was sort of the kid like, yo, blah, blah, blah. Like calling people's number off the record or like sending them an email or like just trying to get on and trying to get on. Right. And, you know, really hungry, but not, didn't have the talent to match the hunger. <laughs> and so you know, I suffered some setbacks and just made my way around DC for a few years. I tried to do the DJ battle thing for a long time, but it was always, it was fun. I was really into it, but it was always about, well, if you win some of these contests, you can get more gigs. It wasn't like, I'm a, use a turntable as an instrument. It wasn't that, that was right. never my intention. But you wanted to rock parties. Yeah, exactly. I, I just wanted to DJ. Like I wanted yeah. to DJ and whatever that meant that always sort of the meaning of that changes over time. Like as I learned more about music, the meaning of it would change. I think I knew something and then I'd learn more and the meaning of it would change. But yeah, I just wanted to DJ. I mean, don't you think it's funny? Like, I don't know, like, you know, Jamie, you're probably the youngest, right? Yeah. Is, is that what you want to do? Just you just want to rock parties. Right? Yeah, I used to do house parties, too. Like, I, like they'll be like yo we're having a party on Saturday I'm like yo you got a DJ and they'll be like yeah I'm like they're like but we can't pay you but like, I don't give a fuck I'm just gonna oh, yeah. this yeah. just I mean, same thing with you right yeah uh, same I, mean, I feel like don't you feel like these younger DJs they have a different mentality on the shit a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> what is it like that's more focused on like fame or what I don't know what it is I don't really know because even Sometimes I remember in sort of like late in the scam era, just sort of waking up and like, what am I, this isn't even, this thing I do has the same name as the thing I started out doing, but it's a different thing. It's not the same thing. It has, it's called DJing, but it's not the same thing. It sort of seems like it's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. 
And who are these kids that want to do this? Like, this isn't what I wanted to do. It's just what I ended up doing. You're talking about like basically like touring on bottle service clubs. Just the whole, the whole modern DJing thing, the whole scene of bottle service. Yes, not. It didn't fucking exist. You know, it didn't exist. And especially coming from DC, like there was nothing. Like there was urban radio. There was a few clubs and there was a hip hop scene, but it's very small. A lot of good DJs, not enough work for all of them. Right. Um, it's mo- like very black, much blacker than it, it, things sort of became. In New York, everyone has their own little world. Like if you are a black DJ, you can do like a black DJ thing. If you are, and you can cross over like the way Goldfinger sort of like cross over into bottle service, someone like that. But in DC, it's kind of the little pockets, and just, there's not like. I'm not explaining this well, but in New York, you can find your little world and sort of stay in it if you want. Right. In DC, it's so small that everyone sort of stuck together. Like it was one record store and it was owned by this old gay dude and I ended up working there, which was amazing. It was like a dream come true. Um, How did you get that? Just tenacity. Just like I'm there. Like I said, the, I'm there all the fucking time. Like, ah, I want it. You know what I mean? Right. Like I said, the eager eagerness was bigger than the talent. I was just talking to Jamie about this. About what? About getting gigs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And going to the spot, hanging oh. out at the spot. Just, just like, being that guy. Yeah, it's oh, like they're yeah. not gonna like they're not gonna call you. I was the worst. Yeah, you gotta hang out there. You gotta be like the like you gotta be like a stool at the bar, you know what I mean? You have to be there all, all the time. The time. Every, you know, it's funny, every night. It's funny you say that because that's how I got my job at uh, Riff LA. I was just hanging out there so fucking much. Like, yo, just start fixing the wall. But that's how it works. Wow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like with DJing. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's like, like every night you have to go out. Like yeah. at least four, at least four nights a week. If you're not working, just to listen to the DJs, get better. Yeah. See what I'm doing wrong. See what Neva's doing wrong. What D Miles is doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. And then also see what we're doing right, and just like saying like, wow, I like this, and I'm gonna take this, and I'm gonna take this, but make it my own. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have any like DJs locally that you liked or respected? Oh yeah. Um, there was a, the radio DJs in DC are really good. Like we all listened to CeeLo, funk regulator CeeLo, who was on, I forget if he was on 95 and then he switched to 93, but CeeLo was sort of like the biggest radio DJ in DC in that era. And he was definitely influenced everybody that played hip hop down there. Mm. He was just really clean good radio kind of a mix of that new york smash in style and that clean la smooth style it was really good and it was a good era for radio djing because those records were really dj friendly like that sort of 95 bpm boom bap shit the early bad boy stuff the biggie stuff the premiere stuff was all over the radio and the mix shows back then and it just sounded good when people cut those records up, you know? Yeah. What was more your style? Like the West Coast style or the, the smashing? What's, what's a West Coast style? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I was, I'm just was, kidding. I'm kidding. I, um, I mean, I... I was cricket, like, he put that in two categories. Well, like, I've, I've gotten into arguments with certain DJs. Like, about what? Just West Coast and East Coast style of DJing or New York style DJing and West Coast. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not even like which one is better. Well, it's that's, not, that's not the point. That's kind of like being, 
It's kind of like arguing about New York pizza and any other pizza. Well, I mean, they, there they, shouldn't be any other pizza. It's New, New York pizza comes from New York. That's right. Pizza. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I'm kind of being an asshole. Yeah, you are being an asshole because that's not that's not true. Because I mean, so like. Uh, one dude, really cool, really talented DJ uh, from San Francisco, Jay Espinoza. I mean, I hooked, uh, oh, yeah. I linked up with him like after a gig. We were at a diner. It was like all love, and then we just started arguing, like not even like really arguing, but we were, we were like talking about West Coast and East Coast. And I was basically saying that West Coast for party rocking wasn't as effective in hip hop as a New York style. I agree. Yeah. And I, and I was basically saying that. And obviously, you know, homies from fucking San Fran, you're the, not going to let a motherfucker say that shit. You know San what I mean? San Francisco invented the eight bar intro. Like, they can save it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you feel what I'm saying? Like, and I was trying to, like, say just kind of not in a dis. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but it, it probably came off disrespectful. You were probably sunning him. Nah, yeah. I, I probably came off disrespectful, definitely. But I definitely want to have Jay Espinosa on because I want to, you know, re uh, revisit that that yeah. conversation. But okay, so what I'll tell you is this: I got some gigs in DC. I got this gig at the at this club, the Ritz. They fired the club, fired the promoters who ran the Friday night, and they were big promoters. And they were in charge of the Friday night and they got rid of these guys and they just brought in some ringers. And my buddy got brought in to do the main floor house big room housey remix stuff at the time this is like i don't know whatever year whatever hey poppy came out when i was playing there that whatever year that was it was like 99 yeah something like that like net country grammar was a big record there okay, so it's what, it wasn't even out when i first started but anyway so they brought so they brought in we were like scabs basically <laughs> the promoters got booted and they brought in some you know the, the second tier guys which wound up being me for the hip-hop room and that was where i learned how to dj Cause I, I kind of wasn't ready for it, but I just trial by fire, right? F figure it out. Even even some of my bar counts and stuff weren't good then. With the like mixing wise, it'd be a little off on the bar count. Like I miss a couple bars here and there, and I didn't have that stuff perfect. But I figured out how but to isn't like, that get what it makes, going. Isn't that what makes you? Isn't that what makes any DJ great? Is that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And then you're just, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And you pick it up real quick. Yes. And it becomes that. And I, I picked it up real quick. Now, I, not to cut you off, I want to go back to this, but did you get a little notoriety by working at that record shop? Like you were more visible. You yes, know what yeah, I mean? for sure, for sure. So that, then, I wouldn't have gotten that gig if I hadn't been working exactly. at the record shop. So working at the record shop was a, like being there, getting the job, and then being visible to all of these DJs. And it just somehow got you that. I mean, you're, in that era, in that time, your whole, I think now your whole life has to be about being more visible and trying to get those right. jobs. When, especially I was young, I was 21 or something like that. Mm -hmm. I was young and it, it's all I cared about. And like, you had set your whole life up to get, get a gig. Right. You know what I mean? I'll do anything. I'll show up anywhere. I'll put all the shit in my trunk, the fucking bad speakers. Like I'll go anywhere. Right. Oh, you, you want to pay me a hundred bucks, but I have to bring my turntables? Sure. I had this two-door accord and I could kind of fit it all in there. Two-door wow. accord. Um, anyway, so I was going to say, so I did that gig. I was big into turntablism, that whole scene of doing DJ battles and stuff too. And I also, before I left DC, I started following around a lot of the radio guys, like uh, DJ Analyze, 
who was on the radio on uh, 93.9. I carried crates for him and just watched how he did what he did and learned a lot. Um, and it wasn't really, and I learned a lot from him, the way he did like hip hop and R&B and it was really good. He would take a record and dissect it and use the best parts of it. And this is before Serato, he would do just do it on the fly. Like, I'm gonna get this party thing at the end of the record and I'm gonna start with that. And I'm gonna go back to the beginning. I'm gonna go to the chorus. I'm gonna go back to the beginning and then finally I'll let him have the whole record, like with a big new record or something right. like that. Um, and then when I moved to New York, I kind of didn't know what I was getting into, but like you said, I just, I kept my fucking mouth shut and I just picked it up quick. Like if I was out and I didn't know a record or I didn't have a record, like a classic or even a hip hop record, if I, I just kept my fucking mouth shut and I like ran to the record store and figured it out. So how long were you doing local clubs in DC or in, in you know? In VA and then moving to like New York. What was that like? That because that's kind of a big move, yeah. I got those turntables when I was sixteen, and I left DC when I was, I think, twenty-two. So did, did a you save some money uh, and what? Okay, so I was doing a DJ battle thing, and had this year where I worked really, really hard at it, and I was like, "This is I'm gonna do it. This is it. I'm gonna kill it," and it just didn't quite pop for me, mm -hmm. and I whatever what i was doing wasn't of the moment i don't remember i did this dmc dc and i'd gotten to the point where i could make it to the top eight. i think they top six or top eight so that you know four, 50 people show up to, during the day or whatever so you, then, wait you did the dmc i was doing yeah i was doing that stuff oh, and shit. so this is just the dc the local one so when they did top six or whatever i'm in the top six and they start announcing the winner so they announced three and then two and me and my men look at each other and we're like looking at the, did I win? Did I win? And then not this other kid. Won. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was really, my set was really good. I liked my set and I was proud of it. And I felt like the kid who won set was kind of corny and a little like, you know, craze wannabe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and after that defeat, I was like, ugh, I don't ugh, enough with this shit. And at the same time, I entered these cool cigarettes battles and I was winning those because the cool cigarettes battle was a little more urban. What's a cigarettes battle? Cool, cool. K-O-L. Cool cigarettes put on the battle. And so the cool cigarettes battle would be at the club. Jesus, this is so OG back in the day when a cigarette, <laughs> a cigarette company. Yo, I've first never heard of, of all, it. a cigarette company sponsoring a DJ battle and a cool cigarette. Yes, cool <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> Yo. So cool cigarette battles were plus at, is a hip hop battle. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool cigarettes battles were at the club, and I had been around. But it, was, it was more of a party aspect, right? Exactly. The cool cigarettes thing was more like the Red Bull three style of mm. in that era, but a real black Red Bull three style. <laughs> and um, I won that shit, and I won. I won. Wait, wait. So there was that? I mean, who was your competition? Was it like mixed? So, it was some of the same people from the DMCs, but I knew how to beat them in cool. Because they were so nerdy, like turntablists? Yeah. And they didn't know the party records. Yes. They, they knew, they, people knew, people were starting to get into it, but I just could put it together for cool better. And I won, I won cool the first time I crushed. And the second time I won it, I kind of didn't deserve it, but I just did some body tricks and got away with it. And, um, <laughs> which was nice because I was getting beat by these corny motherfuckers in the DMC 
it was nice to beat him. Right. On right. and like, no, I kind of didn't deserve it, but I fucking beat him. And so, and you, were you being a complete cocky asshole? Nah, I was. No. I was. I was like, I was crazy, but different. I was. I don't know. I was an asshole, sure, yeah. But I wasn't <laughs> cocky because I didn't have that. Like I'm the champ thing. I wanted to be, but maybe I was. I was maybe I was bad. Anyway, so what I was, the, the point I'm trying to make is the cool cigarettes battle paid money, and my buddy was in New York and he was dancing and he was hanging out at these clubs and he connected me with this dude. I went to New York and they had me play a little bit with him at Spa and I kind of played it. I didn't really play it commercial. I kind of big though. It was spa? in a it was in a side room. But yeah, still, that, was still that, big. that was still big, though. Right? Yeah, and it but was in this this the second half of spa when Flash, it wasn't as Flash did the um, side room at one point. Yeah, so that was big. Though. So it was after that though. It was like the this the like the second half of spa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I did the side room a little bit, and he, the dude liked my energy, and he was like, "You should play with me up here every week. You should come play with me." And I was doing it for like thirty bucks or something like that. And really? So I started. I was Damn. driving up. I drove up every Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it was, for like a month. And I was like, man, fuck this. I'm moving to New York. Were and you I, opening for him? We would just kind of like play together. Okay. And it was a little bit, they had some weird hipsters. And the guy who was running the club was, I think it was Scott Sartiano was actually running it at that time. Well, how many crates were you bringing up with you? I would bring everything. Did Because I, I would do it. It wasn't really, because Max Glazier was in the main room. So we weren't mm. trying to hammer the, that shit. Right. Yeah. So I would just sort of bring like some old school shit and some different shit. Play some JBs, James Brown, but also mix in some classic hip hop and stuff like that. Right. So I would bring like three or four crates. But I wouldn't have all the, you know, Jay-Z and R. Kelly records with me. But the point I was trying to make is I took the money from the second cool cigarettes check and used that. To help me move. How much was that check? It's like 1500 bucks. And I moved to Jersey City with my homie who was dancing, who was like a break dancer. And I was in Jersey City for like six months. Got a job at Turntable Lab, moved to Brooklyn. I got super oh, lucky because when I came to New York, it was right after 9-11. And so everything was fucked up. Right. So mm-hmm. all the clubs close. Yeah. And everything's all fucked up. And then as they start to get put it back together, I show up and they're like, oh, you DJ too. Come on. You're part of this thing. So it was weird. I felt like because of 9-11 and because of the disarray, I didn't have to, I wasn't, it wasn't as challenging to break in because mm-hmm. everything had fallen apart and they're putting it back together. They just grab, well, I'm, that, I'm yeah. just this piece that they just grabbed. Yeah, that was a bad time because I was DJing in New York at the time. And I remember after 9-11 for like two or three weeks, all the clubs was closed yep. because, the, because Manhattan was shut down. So it slowly started to build back up again. Yeah, and I, I showed up in like I mean, February. Nev, Nev, did you lose gigs and shit? Or? Um, I lost, I mean, I didn't work for two weeks. But I got called back to come to the clubs afterwards. But well, still, was it a weird vibe? Were people like slowly coming back? Or yeah. was it dead? Or was, was, it was slowly. People, people were slowly scared to back. come out? Or it, what was it? I don't know, but people were slowly coming to the clubs. Or but eventually it got back to, to normal, like around October. November. Well, not for nothing, but after the shooting, we want to check you out. And you were DJing on the street. Wait, wait, the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah, yeah after okay. the Las Vegas shooting. Not everyone knows what you mean yeah, by yeah, right? the shooting. Because the there's so many shootings, shootings nowadays. nowadays. Yeah. Uh, after the Las Vegas shooting, we checked you out four days after the shooting. Yeah. And you were DJing or whatever. And even there, it kind of seemed weird. Like that night. Where seemed, was that? Where, uh, Dre's. Oh, okay. 
even then I seem oh, yeah, weird. The a, crowd seemed kind of unease and shit like that. So I kind of get The shooting it. happened on a Sunday. We and were at Dre's on a Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday. It was a Thursday night. I remember that. Uh... I don't. I don't know if that had anything. You think it had to do with this? Yeah, shit? yeah, yeah, me, definitely. What are you talking about? Me and me and uh, D were like, "Yo, it feels uneasy. It feels like people don't want to move too much." I don't know. It was weird. Really? The, the vibe was a little. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't right. I mean, God, dude, I f- I forget a lot of shit, and I just forget certain things like that. But so you like, know what? That's Las Vegas. It was totally different from New York. No, 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 no that was crazy. Yeah, I think yeah. It was yeah, I mean, I wasn't even there. We had the we had the thing. The Pentagon's by my mom's house, my parents' house. And so I <laughs> talk about some funny shit. I was work my I had quit this job at the record store and my other friends were going to open up a different record store and I was going to work there but I wasn't doing anything. I was unemployed. I was living in my fucking parents' house um after having lived in DC and some other places. And my dad got me this job at a fucking auto body shop <laughs> so i'm working at this auto body shop not doing auto body but learning how to look at the car and be like this one needs a new quarter panel and this and how to order the parts and stuff for the work that needs to be done and the dude who owned the auto body shop who's my dad's friend's brother would come would go off to lunch and get fucking wasted and come back and start saying racist shit it was fucking crazy. And I'm working at this body shop in DC and and I on September 10th, I just was like, oh fuck, what am I doing? I gotta get the fuck out of here. And I just leave at like three o'clock. I'm like, I'm gonna get a candy bar and bounce, which is I've done that before at jobs. Just like I'm gonna get a snack and never come back. Really? I'm gonna get a candy <laughs> yeah. bar and just kind of, never kind of come back as well. It's some trashy white kid shit. Just get a research. I do what I want. I'm leaving. I quit. And so I, qu- I left that job on the 10th. And then my pops was like, you, need to f- you don't have to keep that job. But you need to go back and fucking apologize. And so I got up on September 11th and got dressed and put on the TV. T- and I was about to go over there and be like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I appreciate the opportunity. I don't think it's right for me. And the fucking world's exploding. So I was like, oh, I guess I don't have to apologize today. To <laughs> <laughs> get another candy bar and call it a day again. But it wasn't, it was DC. It wasn't like New York. You know, the Pentagon was fucked up. There was smoke for a right. few days and it was fucked up, but it wasn't. It was fucked up. New York. I, yeah. I, I've heard the stories. I wasn't there. I was there at, just after. So I can't, I wasn't there, but I know how much it affected people. It was yeah, pretty crazy. It was bad. Man. It was, but that era, so I moved to New York that January, February, 02, and that era from that, that time until Serato came out, sort of like my favorite time in my experience as a DJ. It was just so fun. So wait, when did you move to New York? 2002. 2000, what, like what, what time? February? January. January. I started going up to that spa thing in January, mm-hmm. and I moved all my shit in February. So I was, I, we were back and forth all the time. I would go up for DJ battles. I knew people there. Um, I was familiar. We used to go clubbing there. We used to go to the shelter and what, I, go to Rocksteady reunions and check out the hip hop stuff. So I wasn't like some weird place I'd never been to before. Um, but that's what, I moved in 2002. And that, that era was like when I really started to put it together. Like my bar counts got t- all that. I tightened up all that bar count stuff. My record collection got better, quick, quicker in New York. It was just much easier to find everything. And I really started to get, like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. And then when did you get a job at Turntable Lab? That was the first thing I did is I got that job. Because those dudes were from, one of those dudes is from Maryland. Mm-hmm. 
the main one of the main dudes who owns it. He's from Maryland, so he kind of knew about me a little bit because I'm from that area. So he would keep up with that area, the DC area. So you had oh, you so had, had the, an in. You had an in from, yeah. and we were doing the turntablism thing down there. So we had a little connection with them, and they gave me a job. And I only had that job for like six months or nine months or something. Turntable lab. Yeah, and then I was DJing full time after that. But I, I heard you were like, all right. So what I heard from you at Turntable Lab, you were like the biggest asshole. Yeah, and I shouldn't have been. But that's <laughs> why I was wondering, were you kind of that asshole at the at the DC record store? A little, yeah, yeah. They kind of let me do it at the DC record store because what happened at the DC record store, this queen, Javier, used to run a cash register and he had the, the Prince joint shaved into his sideburns. <laughs> the sign? Oh. Yeah, yeah. He was cool. He was cool. And he used to do drag. He was very cool. He was a scene dude in DC for years and years on this club scene. And he was a little cunty. And so... I took over the cash register at the store, at the record store, and the owner kind of let me be cunty. They let, they let, let I want, me go I want a you to bit. explain some of the shit. Like, if I was an upcoming DJ, and I'm like... I would just argue with people. I'd just be like, oh, you buying this? <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of like that dude. You ever saw High Fidelity? Yeah, yeah, I'm that dude. You was that Jack dude, Black. Jack yeah, Black? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so you're like, why are you buying this? Yeah. Like, oh, this. And then what would they do? I, they should have slapped me, but... I. They did it. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I would have been pissed. Yeah. But I, would, I, I probably pissed. wouldn't have done it to you. I, I'm good at picking who not to do it to. <laughs> <laughs> so wait. But I, w- I would hear some shit. I, I forgot who would tell me. Like, yo, yo, Rock was a complete asshole. Like, people would come in and be like, yo, I'm trying to find, like, this breakbeat. And you'd make them sing it or something. <laughs> I don't know. And it, or you'd be like... They'd be like, I'm trying to look for this song. And you'd be like, no, you don't need that. You need this. Yeah. Like, what kind of a DJ? Are you really want to be a DJ? You'd be like breaking them down. Yeah, why like, not? We want you to do the research. Like, you were like breaking them down. Want, making uh, them feel like shit. Before, like I used to DJ at the Dream Hotel in, D, in, uh, in New York. I don't know, like 2012 or whatever, uh-huh. 10, 11. And I remember coming in and this kid was opening or playing the early party. And I was like, all right, you want to like do the role? Like role, like the mixer, yeah. the role. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, what kind of fucking DJ doesn't know how to do the role? Like you want to do this job? Why don't you fucking learn how to do it? Like have some respect for your craft. <laughs> I just fucking went off on <laughs> You did that? I don't do that shit anymore. It's like- but you, Did you I, say it like that? I was a total asshole. <laughs> but that was, also in 2012, that's the time of there's a million kids. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Right. They're all terrible mm-hmm. and they're working because they'll work for nothing, which we would work for nothing. So I understand that. I did that. I did that to an opener at a shit. I probably shouldn't say the club, but I did that in Vegas to one of the openers. Yeah, because you probably should have to put it this way. Uh, like, you know, I'm obviously I'm headlining. He's opening. Right. Yeah. So he literally unplugs he doesn't even i don't know if he unplugs his headphones and he just puts his hands up and i'm like okay like you want me to unscrew your vinyl i mean like take off your vinyl unscrew everything what do you want like what and i was just kind of like yo like do you know how to like the courtesy of like setting up the next dj because even if you're closing i'm gonna like screw in your needles right i'm gonna transfer your vinyl take mine off right yeah, and then when I take my computer off, I'm gonna have make sure you know where the USB is, and I'm gonna roll you out so you can do it. You know it's, what I mean? It's a thing 
you do it together. It's a team. And it's, it's teamwork and you communicate. And it's a courtesy. And it's, it's also- a courtesy. And when people don't do it, it drives me fucking nuts. And I, I, I yelled at him. He's like, well, I don't know how to roll. And I'm like, well, why don't you fucking learn how to roll? Yeah, that's what I did. Well, I didn't say that rude, but I said, I you should learn how to roll. You should know the courtesy of like how to set up another DJ. because, And it's not because I'm the headliner. It's because I'm this, a DJ it, like you. I'm a DJ like you. It's his fucking job to know that. If he doesn't know how to do it, he shouldn't have the fucking job. <laughs> I agree. Like, if you don't know how to roll, you shouldn't be fucking opening for me. Like, or for of, anyone. That's like etiquette, right? Like, yeah. Also, I, it's, it's, it's just knowing the equipment. That's yeah. it. That's all it is. And if it, you don't know, you should feel stupid and you should hate that you are, you're feeling stupid and you should just learn to be like, yo, I don't want to feel stupid. I'm, I'm going to learn how to do this. Yeah. In response to your being an asshole thing, I kind of went through some tough shit in D.C. with I made an offhand comment about battling someone and then it became this whole thing and I really got shit on. Maybe deservedly so. I don't know. But I really got shit on by some people that were sort of like bigger up in the scene than me. And I kind of couldn't make moves for a little while. You got like blackballed a little I, bit. Yeah, essentially. They try, like kind of, yes. And there's a, maybe to some degree I deserve some of it. But I think whatever, I just, I've internalized some of that and I was tough on people. Like I, like I got molested and I'm molesting. You know what I mean? <laughs> you were scarred. I was a little scarred. And I was, you know, everyone's young and insecure and then you take it out on people. And well, it's like- I also thought I knew some shit and that I didn't, you know? Right. But well, then people really did buy some whack shit at Turntable <laughs> But it's that thing where like you're not- Look, just because you're new in this shit doesn't mean you're going to get embraced with a hug. You got to earn the respect and you got to get like- Honestly, like how many DJs that run through, you know- Honestly, it shows that, first of all, you care and the fact that you care to tell them like, yo, you got to get better at this shit. You got to learn this shit. It's a fine line. And a lot of the time I've been, I don't do it well. <laughs> you know, I could, I've, now that I'm older, I know how to do it a lot, but I'd be like, hey, like also the way you're doing this thing, like, uh, let me show you how to roll instead of like, learn to fucking roll, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's whatever. I w you know, I wish I knew then what I know now. One is like, wow, man, Rotacon is mad cool. Like he taught me how to roll and shit. And the other one's like, wow. Rotkin's an asshole. That, but that's there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of that people like stories yeah. like that. There'll be one person be like, oh, he's like the greatest dude. Like, I open for him. He showed me all this stuff, and the other ones like, it's a fucking dick. Right. So I don't know. It is what it is. I'm sure that's probably a lot of consensus for me. I think everyone pretty much likes Neva. Yeah. Everyone likes Loved. D Miles. <laughs> nah. There's a love and hate relationship. Everyone nah. pretty much loves and hates Jamie, but yeah. But so yeah, that era. I love that era in New York. And I know that the like Bronson era before that era, when Mark was really on the scene and everybody was playing the more of the rock records, the, the beginning of that was really cool, that tunnel and all that stuff. But I wasn't there. So I just love that for me when I first got to New York to before Serato. I came up in your era. Yeah, I yeah. Came same, up in the, same, in the era. same era. Yeah, I started era. actually DJing end of 2001. Yeah. And then it came into 2002. And 9-11, I, I started DJing because of 9-11 because I was trying to be a producer I was going to the clubs, like hanging out with like trying to hang out with like dudes from like game records and all of these dudes. Mm -hmm. And and then that's when I got sliced at nine like uh, two weeks after nine eleven, my face. Damn. And then I couldn't I got fired from my job. Telemarketing, is that right? It was no, it was <laughs> it was import exporting. I was like a sales dude. Uh -huh. And then yeah, I had to DJ because I had to make money. 
That's and that was the shit. But I came up into 2002, and it I got was fun. and I got lucky, and that's when I got into light because mm-hmm. someone heard me at the Leopard Lounge. Oh, where was that? On Eighth Street, Eighth and Second. Is that Eighth right? and Second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They heard uh, security dude heard me at Leopard Lounge, and he said, "Yo, uh, I'm gonna ask Walter at Light, yeah, mm-hmm. if you could get a tryout." And then he gave me a tryout, and then he was like, "Listen, you're good." But you don't know music. You don't know any of this rock shit. He's like, come and listen to our resident DJ Neva. And that's when I heard you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, man, this dude's killing this shit. But you were, was I? Yo, you were, <laughs> you were like, so you didn't have like Nirvana on vinyl. You didn't have like certain rock records on vinyl. Mm-hmm. But you were like queuing up the CD. And this is before CDJs, obviously. This is like yeah. old school. The one that's the rack mount one with the little circle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he yeah. was like queuing that up and mixing it flawlessly with the vinyl. And it was like effortless. And I remember at the time you had, oh, fuck. What the fuck was it called? Uh, what are the metal crates that's like? Anvil? No, the good metal crates for records. Oh, uh, um, It starts with an S, right? I want to say it wasn't Embassy, but I know what you're talking about. Uh, calzone, calzone, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cal- so you had the calzone, like the chrome calzone. Oh, that's crates. the that's the first thing. When, the first when you get, for, in my opinion, yeah. When I, back in that day, when you finally get a residency, like your first four fucking <laughs> checks go to crates, like, and they were expensive in DC. Them shits were more expensive in New Yo, York. It's nobody lit- sold them. It's literally at that time. I well, for me in two thousand two, two thousand three. If you didn't like a uh, like, you know how rappers get a check. And they get a they get a chain, and they get a car. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a DJ, you, you get got crates. calzone crates. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. First check, first, like first thing, you gotta get some crates because you can't be out here with no fucking milk crates. Yo, I'll never forget, and I was like so, I was like so embarrassed, but never came to check me at light because I did get the job. <laughs> and he came in, he was like, "Yo, what up?" And he just started laughing, and I'm like, "Yo, what's up?" And he's like, he just started laughing, <laughs> and I was like, "Yo, I thought he was laughing at my mix." Uh-huh. And he looks down, and I had four like milk crates. Oh, I had yeah. four milk crates of records. He's like, he's like, motherfucker, man, you got a job now. Get you some fucking calzone crates. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, get you any. What was the the bootleg calzones? They were like, it was Embassy. It was, was Embassy. He's like, get you some Embassy crates. Get Odyssey. you some. Odyssey. Odyssey. He was like, oh, I, I hated those. I never there, got those. They were terrible. I, I had I, a couple, but as soon as I got all I the got money, the ones that kind of looked like calzone, but it wasn't. It was like another brand. I forgot what it was. But I never forgot that. And I was like, yo, my first check, I don't give a fuck. I'm getting it. But and then he would come visit me and I would have like one, <laughs> one calzone crate and then like three milk crates. <laughs> and if y'all motherfuckers don't know what the milk crates are, it's literally these plastic milk crates that they carried milk in yeah. that we yeah. would put records in. Yo. People yeah. know what milk crates are. Yeah. <laughs> Did yo, you used to like Jaguars from the grocery stores? Yeah. yeah I, we had a Dagostino's around the corner and I would go there. And I'd be like, yo, man, can I get like one or two milk crates? And they'd be like, I'll give you one. And I would keep going every week. I used to go like late at night and like, grab like the Dean Foods, the black ones the from black like Ralph's or like Vaughn's. Dude, I hated I tried to get all the same colors. I would get like the gayest colors. I would the get fir- like. Like the first time you see one of those DJs show up, like, I don't know, like a Capri or someone like that. And they have like seven of the same crate. Yeah. And they, they know which one is which by the stickers that they have on them or whatever. And it looks, it just looks so professional, so fucking cool. You know, and that, that was, you just had to get them. Wow. That was the shit. Was I'll never that. forget that though. He, <laughs> he fucking broke. Yo, never knows. Yo, never used to break on me at every stage 
of like I was coming in <laughs> from like my first calzone crates to when I first was getting a check in Vegas, he would just play me out. But for, not for nothing, when you had the um, crates, you had some chick carrying your crates for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it was a bartender that <laughs> No, I mean, that was the shit though. Like, that was the test because I lived five flights up. Mm-hmm. And, oh, if, if, and if and if the shorty would help me with my crates, it was like the, the Bronx Tale door test. Yes. Yeah. If she of helped course. me with my crates, she was a keeper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even if it was one crate, you know. She was yeah. all as long as they try, you're not gonna yeah. make her carry it. You let her carry it. That's the most. But that was <laughs> and them joints are heavy too. Oh, yeah. so yo, that heavy. was the yo for real. Like I remember trying to hook up with girls, and then I'd be like, "Well, let me drop off my." It was just the oh, worst. The worst. And then when Serato came out, it was the best shit ever, man. The yeah. best fucking thing ever. I remember I, because you, I would have to, like, I remember when I first got to New York and I first started gigging, you figure out how to set up your records so that what you're bringing oh, all yeah. fits exactly in the trunk of a Crown Vic. Right. In the back of a taxi. Yes. That's yes, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. You, know, you, I set my shit up for like Crown Vic trunk, like this fits, that fits there, that fits there. And I can take this one. And the worst life. was when they had the spare tire in the back, in the trunk. Like it's out. Oh. Like yeah, it's yeah, supposed yeah, to be underneath. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would fuck up the whole thing. The whole You're like, shit. fuck, I got, I got to put one crate in the back seat or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Everybody used to, I started working at Bungalow, um, like in I don't know. I'd been in New York for a little while and I started working at Bungalow. So like the low man on the total pole, like Sunday night. But everybody used to like keep their records there. Like if someone was DJing up in that zone or they, they DJ there, they just leave their records there and then they pop in a cab, go over there at 10, grab their records and then go somewhere. Does anyone want to fucking take them home? Damn. So you go to Bungalow. It was that safe there? It was, yeah, it was pretty safe. You used go- to leave some, you used to leave your shit at light sometimes, right? But I leave it in the um, office. Yeah. I wouldn't leave it like by the DJ booth. It, people left it in the, there was like a, the DJ booth, you had to go through the, kind of this closet coat check thing in there. And Mateo always, Mateo would have like four crates back there and Ty would have crates back there. So who were your initial homies coming up? In New York? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my boy Rolando, who used to do some like bars yeah, and stuff, yeah, was yeah. the one who laced me with the spa thing. But after that, you know who I'll tell you the people that helped me the most were Todd Mallison, Reach, mm-hmm. and a few others. And like I was tight with Todd and Reach, Reach, uh, Reach and I didn't like we didn't like go out to lunch every day, but he helped me out. Those dudes were like, oh, this guy can work. And I can send, if they get a gig and they can't do it, they can send me and the client's going to be happy. Right. And so those dudes were working a lot and coming up and they would throw me shit. All that the was time. like, honestly, man, I, I don't remember another time like that where we were throwing gigs to each other. No. Because I remember never you would throw me gigs. Yeah. You would help me out. And, and, but as I would, soon as and then the, I would help like Sean Perry yeah, yeah. out. And it was like, but as it was soon like a as, ripple effect. As soon as management comes into play, you can't help anyone. Right. It's really hard. Like people still do it for me. The person who does it for me the most still would be Dizza in Miami. But he kind of manages himself sort of for a lot of stuff. So he's, and he does his own parties and stuff. So he's really able to be like, come do this thing with me. I got you with this. He he reminds me of like a a Miami version of DJ MoMA where he's created, he has his own following. He has his own, Yeah. he has his own sound and he has like that musical freedom to do whatever he wants. And then, he can do. He has that freedom to just do whatever he wants. You know but yeah, I mean? that era especially was about you got. It's a community, and you have to be a part of the community, and you can't piss too many people off. Mm-hmm. But you genuinely like the people 
that we were working with. Like back then, yeah, everybody was cool. Every, everyone was, but everyone was kind of semi rocking the parties. Yeah, and then they were just even if they weren't the best DJ, they were like solid good dudes that used to like pay it forward for everybody. Right, and in the like in the context, if you took all those guys, the the lower tier of them then, I'm just talking talent wise, would be higher now right like so right. the guys that we were kind of like uh oh, he's not so great like he'd be missing a bar counts or nah, 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 he plays this and that like those dudes would be better now like on serato they'd be good mm-hmm. i think i think the curve was it was it was i don't know it was harder back then it was pause <laughs> like you had to was a lot of fucking work you had to go to rock and soul on thursday and friday and yeah. shit yeah i mean You'd have to, like, what was the day? I mean, I would go, yeah, like, Wednesday, Thursday, right before the weekend. And, or Friday, like, afternoon for, like, mm-hmm. the new releases. Yeah. And you would, uh, and I remember we'd be fighting for the records because they would run out. Yeah. Yeah. Remember? I remember that shit. And I would, I would ask uh, Ruben at Rock and Soul or Friday. I'd be like, yo, hold me whatever joints. And they would, they would hold it for me. And then, yeah. That was crazy back yeah, then. Yeah, like Reach would do the thing where he would go around to all the labels on Thursday or Friday, and I went with him once or twice, and I was like, this shit's not for me. I'll just buy the bootleg. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like too many relationships, too many people to be like, yo, yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you on the the record pool? No, I was I was in a record pool in D.C. for a little while, but not in New York. I just kind of, you could kind of get by. Like Todd knew a couple promo people. I knew a couple. They would come to the club too. Like Mozzie yeah. used to always come and get you with the Def Jam stuff or whatever. And I, I mean, I remember stuff like when Crazy in Love came out, I was, me and Todd were doing this place lobby and Todd was kind of like upstairs in the VIP and I was down doing the, the, the main floor, I guess. And, you know, he called me and was like, I got the guy from Columbia coming with it tonight. Don't worry. So we got the record. So we knew we were getting the record. I didn't have to go scramble for the bootleg. The dude came and we each got two copies. And I was like, thank fucking God. What the fuck did they call those dudes back in the day? Uh, street team. The street, street team. team. Nah, but it was something else, wasn't it? Promo nah. guys? Nah, it was, nah, there was like an official name for that. No. I know I used to deal with um, was it Porto, Porto Vac from Loud Records. <laughs> was, it, was that his name? Or Puerto Rican Vibe? Who's the dude from, oh, fuck, was it Bad Boy? Henrock? Henrock. Henrock, yeah. yeah. His, his little yeah. minions threatened to kill me once. Oh, shoot. Because was, you wow. wouldn't play Bad Boys? I was at Marquee and- This is upstairs. Downstairs. Oh, main room. Main room. And it was, it was post-Vinyl, it was Serato. But these Bad Boy guys, they were, it wasn't him, mm-hmm. but it was just his minions. And they just wouldn't leave me alone. And I finally- I just had them thrown out. <laughs> wow, what well, they ask you to play? Just like, I don't know. I don't even remember. They just like, play this, do this. And it's just like, this guy's barking orders at me. I don't even know this fucking guy. He's barking orders at me. I'm here at Marquee. I'm trying to do this job that isn't just about playing the new Bad Boy song. There's a bunch of shit I got to play. There's a bunch of different types of people here. I have to do, I like to do what I want to do. I was a little snotty at this time. And I just was like, fuck this. And I just had security kick him out. And then I'm getting in a cab on 11th. It was Serato, so I just had a bag. Right. And so I went somewhere else afterwards to talk to somebody, like, hanging out. And then I'm getting in a cab on 11th. And I get in a cab. And the 
I close the door and the door opens and the dude, bad boy dude is in my cab with his finger in my fucking eye. It's like, you ever like disrespect me again, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. What'd you say? Whatever. Get the fuck out of my cab. I was cab. just like, okay. <laughs> like, what, what do, am I going to say? Yeah. Yeah. What am I going to do? What am I going to fight the fucking bad boy? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Like I could have not, well, you know, I could have played his right. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Unless, you know. All right. So, like, you, would you say, I don't know, you built a reputation. You definitely built a reputation for Marquee upstairs, right? Yeah, for sure. The second floor of Marquee. It was frustrating, though, because when you're good at something that other people aren't good at, yeah, you're going to get stuck doing it. So Explain, I'll, explain, though. So, I was upstairs the Wednesday. They let a lot of hipsters in on Wednesday, and they had some hipster promoters, and they had me playing a mix of rock. It was kind of like, I don't play new hip hop stuff, but I'll sort of play a little old shit and a lot of rock and mix it all up. And no one else could do it. Yeah. There's a, a couple other DJs that could do it. Like Ellie could do Ellie it. Ellie Escobar, yeah. Stretch could do it, but those guys are busy. And Stretch isn't even trying to DJ anymore. Well, Stretch was like over it. Yeah, he, he was, was pissed at that time. Yeah. Um, and so there was really no one else to do it. And so I got stuck up there. And then some, and I wanted... I was still hungry at this time and I was really, I kind of, 04, I was sort of partying a lot, not like drinking, partying, but just kind of like hanging out on the Lower East Side, trying to fuck hipster girls and like skateboarding. And I kind of let my DJ shit slip a little bit. And at the end of the summer in 04, I, was, I, I started seeing some girl and I was like, man, fuck this. I got to get my like DJ shit popping. And so I really got on the grind and that was a like, Serato came out. So it made it fun too. It was like this new thing that we're doing. And so I really got on the grind. And so I, it was that era where I was really hungry. I was really on the grind. And so I'm DJing upstairs in Marquee and I want to do main floor. I want to make more money. I want to be a headlining DJ, not in the little room. And I actually, they put me on the main floor and then they put me back upstairs. They, and ke I, they, I kept the money. So I got a bump down on the main floor and then they put me back upstairs because nobody could do it, but they kept me giving me the, the, the same rate. The same rate. And eventually I had to, I called Rich Thomas. I was like, thank you so much. I love this gig, but I need to be on the main floor somewhere. And if I'm not, like, I need to take about, take a break from this for a while. And so I quit doing that Wednesday. And to, so, hope, so they would see me as a main floor guy. Sorry, I keep bumping the mic. Never, you ever, you ever hear him upstairs? I heard him, yeah. That's the first time I met you when you was doing upstairs at Marquis. Yeah, every, I met a lot of people up there and it was really fun. I, and I, in, if I could go back, I should have kept, kept it going. I should have kept it going because what, like, w this is a thing that I can do that other people can't. Like, what do I give a shit? I want to be on the main floor playing, you know, uh, Usher, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a thing, but when I first heard you up there, I thought it was one of those moments when I, to be honest, I was like, wow, like this is so good and this is so original. And I was just like floored. It just like, and honestly kind of changed my perspective on, on DJing a little bit because it was just done so well. And I, I was like, I remembered, I don't know who I was cool with. It had to be, 11 and MoMA and those guys. I'm like, dude, you got to check rock. Like this, this fucking dude is crazy. Like, I think you were playing like the Smiths. You were doing all of this shit. And I think you even, dude, I think at this 
And this is the thing I was like, yo, this dude's a fucking rock star. He's an asshole. He's a rock star. <laughs> he, the music just cut off. Oh, you were And there I was that at night. the bar. I was at the bar and the music cut off. And we were like, yo, what the fuck happened? So everyone looks at the DJ booth and Rockticon is just like talking to some chick. And you don't see what they're talking about, but the music's <laughs> off. I think, so, I think I might have been there that night. So <sighs> then, and we're like, yo, like, did the girl like pull the US? Oh, I don't know, like, I don't know, did she fuck up the record? And then he was just, and then I don't know what you screamed, but you're like, well, then, then just go, then just do it, and blah, 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 blah. And we were like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> and then she just fucking like put her head down and like walked away. And then the music went back on. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And I thought that was one of the most rock star shit. Yeah, I see. It was kind of like. <laughs> yeah, I did some wild shit up there that like I shouldn't he, have done. Like, What did he do then? Like, I mean, he would just be like, I don't know if you were like. I would get into it with people. Just you because. were kind of like, all right, you have like the attention is yours. Like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What the fuck do you want? And then they would just be like, uh... I'm still like that. It's like, uh... You still cut the music off or something? No. Uh, I, I mean, no. Once in a while. And they would, they would be like, uh, Beyonce? Like, fine. Yeah. Great. Fucking original. You want Beyonce crazy in love? Great. Everyone, she wants fucking Beyonce crazy in love. And then he would just play like another song. Yeah, basically. But it was, basically it was it. fucking crazy. And I was like, yo, like a manager isn't going there to like tell you to stop. No one told him like... You can't be an asshole. Steve Lewis kind of liked it. Yeah. Like he liked it. I was like, that, that. would never go on now. No, never. Of never. course not. You know but, what? Was um, Vegas doing that party? We, now nah, we did that Vegas thing. Like we kind of, Shecky helped me uh, and a couple other people helped me do like a thing like that. We did Tuesdays at uh, MGM. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, maybe, I don't know if Vegas was doing that party back then, but we kind of like did that Tuesday MGM thing, at, in that rock box thing at MGM. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they didn't know about really that gig, but I and knew, taboo, right? Yeah, yeah taboo. So yeah. I, I sort of just based taboo off of that, like mm -hmm. just as my perspective on doing taboo was like I'm gonna do it like I did Wednesday. Right, right. But the Wednesday thing was cool because it was this time like I, when I first moved to New York, I was really not like the a, people would be like AM this guy from LA, blah blah blah, and I, and I. I wasn't into it, right? I wasn't into like, I'm going to scratch a lot when I DJ. I was, I was, had been into scratching and all that stuff, doing the battles and stuff. But coming to New York, I really started to understand that, you know, the maestro doesn't, isn't up there to show you how good he is. He's up there to conduct the fucking night. And you don't need to do all that stuff to make the night pop off. And it's not important. The important is, putting the records in on time at the right time on beat and like the whole thing. It's not just like, look at me. So when I first got to New York, I was very, I was like, I don't care about the scratching and all that stuff. I can kind of do it a little bit, but we're using the rotaries with the fader. And right. It's about putting the whole thing together and that's the art. And so, but I made a choice in that era. I was like, well, I can do this shit. So I might as well. So I tried to incorporate a little more of the like tricks and I would, I finally like, okay, I'll start bringing but the. But when did you start doing that? Like 05 or something like that. When AM was popping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I heard you, I mean, you were doing some scratches, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it wasn't like as aggressive. And no, I, but I, I never did it aggressive like no that. No one ever did it aggressive because at the time they would even tell you no scratching. Yeah. So like in New York. Well, I got fired from Tuesday Baby Tuesday for scratching. Yeah. 
Jason Jason but, Strauss in particular, they they hated scratching Rich, in the clubs at that time. Rich Thomas was like, "I'm gonna put you on Tuesday with Danny A. It probably won't last. He's a nightmare. It's a nightmare for everyone." And I was. I did it. It was really hard. The dude was really hard to work with. I did it for a little while and I was cutting one night and his little minion came was like, no more scratching, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, okay. And I looked right at him and I started scratching. <laughs> I think I was like, he, he comes up and says it. And as right as 30 seconds later, or whatever, there's a mix coming up where I would do like a scratch out. And you were looking at him? I was like looking over at him, just. <laughs> and I know I did not work Tuesday, baby Tuesday again. <laughs> but that was a hip hop party, right? Yeah. And they would, you know, just, they would have AM come in or whoever. And those, he was allowed to do it. And his was like louder and more aggressive than mine. Uh, yeah. I would say in his set, it was like 30 to 40% of his set for AM. What, scratching? Yeah, yeah. The whole scratching, like. All of that stuff. He could get away with it because he was him, but yeah. all the other fucking kids that tried to do it because they thought that's what you were supposed to do, it was, an, it was a nightmare. But, the AM clone era was a nightmare. But we can talk about how part, like the parties in New York changed. Oh, because of him? Because well, everyone wanted to be that. Yeah. This, I mean, people in New York started aping that style, and I thought it was really sad because I'll tell you, this is a story that I always tell. When we used to, my buddies used to dance, like break dancers a lot. We were up in New York for Rocksteady, I think. And we went to the shelter and Timmy Register is a resident there. This is when it was at Vinyl. It was a really big club, amazing sound system. It was dope. I've been yeah, you've been, yeah, you know, the sounds, mm-hmm. it was incredible. Yeah. And I, we get there and I walk in and it's like, Ross Stewart, do you think I'm sexy? Rolling Stones miss you. M pop music. Uh, Tom Brown funkin' for Jamaica. Oh, and it's all kind of like put together in this mm-hmm. way that I was just like, holy shit. I'd never heard anything like it. In DC, they'd be on the radio playing Gap Band Outstanding and Before I Let Go. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But in this club, it was everything together. It was super New York. And it, you know, this is just a normal New York set. But I'd never heard it before. And it sounded so insane and so amazing. And I was like, that's it. Like, this is it. Okay, I get it now. And um, coming to New York and wanting to be a part of that tradition and wanting to play in that way where you put it all together in this amazing way for the people was what I wanted to do. Well, it's so melodic, right? It's just the whole thing. It's just that when you hear someone do it right, it's amazing. And when you hear them and they own the crowd and they have it going, it's just incredible. And suddenly, not only are we suddenly on a laptop and the record thing's out the window, but now we're forsaking the greatest fucking tradition from the greatest fucking city because this shit from Hollywood's making money. It was, I, I found it to be heartbreaking, but I also was like, well, I can do this. So I might as well do a little bit. Right. So I got out the scratch mixer <laughs> and like, you know, but for a little, I held out for a while. I was like, I'm not playing in Wonderwall or I'm, you know, I'm not playing this. So, so Jamie is a big, AM, like, I mean, we're all like, we all love AM, but like, you're a huge AM stan. Yeah. And I always wanted to, I wanted him to know just or you to talk about like your love and hate for like AM. I, as far as Adam goes as a human, uh, he was the best. Like, yeah. I remember meeting him and be like, I can't wait to hate this 
ding dong. You know what I mean? Well, let's talk. Like, <laughs> can you talk about a little bit how y'all met or how y'all even linked up? I can't remember exactly, but that, this the shit was coming together in that era. Like, we were. I started traveling, and so I was around, and people were saying I was good. So I forget if we started BBMing or where we met, and or who introduced us. But I was like really set to be like, fuck this guy, and he just couldn't be nicer. It was like so great and warm and nice and fun and good to hang out with. Um, I was like a like a great dude. Uh, very deeply like wanted to be liked like i remember we were at the uh i was at this vintage shop with him at lv in in soho like the expensive vintage place and i said to lv i was like oh we should just convince him to get cowboy boots (laughs) maybe we could do it like if we if we got them like going enough we can maybe get them wearing cowboy boots that's sort of like we'll tell him it's cool (laughs) <laughs> but we didn't do it <laughs> but he was the best he was like the best dude the fucking nicest dude but as a dj for me like what he did was never my thing because number one i wasn't i wasn't I, I could do it like i didn't have the same scratches or the same exact technique but it's like oh yeah i can do that like you want me to do something interesting with this and that sure i could do it it didn't i wasn't Oh, you want me to like cue records up quickly and put the stickers on them i knew how to do it all from doing the battle stuff right and i knew how to transfer that to you know, I, I didn't know, like, I knew how to transfer it to playing in the club. Like, even before him and before all that stuff, when I first got to New York, I'll do a, I would carry two copies of something, and the part I wanted to use, I put the little sticker on so I could get right to it. Right. And that kind of stuff. So I knew how to take that mentality and put it into the arc of the party. But as far as a, a DJ goes, like, he, there's never my cup of tea. And I, I, I the the stuff he did for all of us is you know it's unparalleled it's incredible but as a dj eh, i've seen him be good a few times <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because oh, no go i'm no i'm sorry when we all were watching the movie i remember there was a part when you're like i really didn't want to like this guy yeah and then crooked just started laughing hysterically because <laughs> he recognized your voice because they hadn't showed your face oh yet. yeah yeah it was just your voice in like a picture of him or doing something, you're like, I really didn't want to like him. Yeah, the faux hawk and the whole thing. It was ridiculous. Uh, it was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it was totally ridiculous. And for me, it was it was tough because I come to New York and I'm like, oh, I just want to be part of this tradition, this fucking thing. It's so incredible. And then they're like, no, no, no. This is what we're doing now. There's a faux hawk, chubby guy. Yeah, he came at the wrong time. I, he came a little too late. It's been the story of my life. Well, he, I but, mean, but he, he was in this. There was a good two, three years where it was it was it was like that. Where like 2003, 2000, 2002, 2003. Where it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, 2004. Yeah, it was amazing. 2005 was really the, the mm-hmm. changing point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, well, I, eventually I stopped being mad about it and just got on board. Like, let me get on this gravy train. Yeah. yeah. Not for nothing, but in the, in the documentary, you kind of had like one of the like realest statements. The, the one that he, uh, you said that he told you that um, he wanted to go in a bomb shelter. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the addiction's a motherfucker. Well, I mean, do you mind touching a little bit on that? Like, because you went through kind of like a rehab stage a little bit. Yeah, but it was in very high school, early, right? Yeah, I was I was real young. But I got sober super young, and I I just never drank again. And um, but like I know you, a kind yeah. of you know what I'm saying. So like I know your, I don't know your personality is always on like 110. Not always, but but at usually you know like uh, like I <laughs> put it this way. When you first meet somebody, you kind of want to push their buttons a little yeah, bit because yeah. you want to figure them out. Like, is this real? Is yeah. This, are you full of shit? I try not. To, I don't do that stuff as much anymore. Right. I'm very sort of like. Like, it was typical for us to DJ 
and then link up after the yeah. gig and be at a diner. And we'd be either at one table or spread out in different tables with yeah. different people. Like I'd be with three girls or he'd be with like some people and some people would be like three girls, four guys, whatever. And if he was at another table, it was always like, oh, here we go. And yeah. he was arguing with somebody or making some girl cry or making some <laughs> like... <laughs> or like cursing some girl out. He like some girl was like fuck you, and she would like move her her food and sit at another part of the table. <laughs> so like I always picture like imagine if this dude drank. Yeah, exactly. Like imagine the, the, if you know what I mean. The thing is, if I I'm, if when I drink, like all that that all goes away actually. Like I don't. I'm not like you're that. mellow. Yeah, I'm. Not, I'm like nothing. So my my thing is, I think one of the detriments. No, not the detriments, but. One of the things, the missing elements of greatness for you, here we go, would have possibly been drinking, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. because we'll the, never know. We'll never know. We'll but never know. The, it's one of those things where the nights just go a little faster. It's a little bit easier, and you're a little bit more in tune with the crowd when you just drink a little bit. I remember talking to Four Color Zach about this, and we we're just—it's really a, a key element. And like me and Neva, as, as much as we're like, yo, we're going to stop drinking. I mean, it's so hard. It is. It's yeah. so hard to just be that disconnected with a crowd that's drinking all night. I mean, you can you can be there with them without it, but it, it definitely makes, it probably makes it easier. Yeah. I don't know, but I would assume it does. I have a question for Rock to Kind. How do you deal with fucking uh, when people want like managers and promoters are trying to stick drinks down your throat? Like, you got to drink, you got to take a shot, you got to... And you're like, nah. And then they kind of look at you crazy. It was actually, in that era, it helped that AM didn't drink because like, it was okay. Right. So it made it easier. That, it made, that made it easier. And you just don't. I just just say no <laughs> and try to be nice about it. You know, you, it sounds like impossible for me, but there are times when I've been able to be nice about it. Be like, oh, no, thank you. I just don't. I don't know. No, I mean, people used to look at me crazy for not drinking while I DJ. So then I was, it was kind of like the peer pressure, like, yeah, just take a shot. I'd be like, all right, whatever. But yeah, they, they looked at you pretty nuts most of the time. Yeah, I'm, it just depends. Like some people don't care, right? They just want the job done right. Yeah. When, when I was on Scam and going a lot of different places, there's two, there's two different kinds of promoters and club owners and stuff. There's people that want you to come and kill it and are excited to hear you, to hear you DJ and they want you to do a good job at their club. They want their club to be packed and they want to make money. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a little more business. And there's people that are there because they think you're cool and they, they book you and they want you to think they're cool or they think you're cool and they want to drink and party with you. And like, I didn't do well with those people, but I did well with the people that, you know, were like, they want you to come kill it and they're interested in the craft or whatever. So it's, there's room for everybody. So in New York, you were doing marquee. Yeah. And then um, it gets a little hazy because I left in the end of 2005. I, I went to Vegas. I was doing all that stuff. And then I started seeing, okay, so I was like, oh, people are going to Vegas. Yeah. I like, and they're getting money. I knew people were getting money out there. And I was like, well, this is where it's going to happen. This is where you play a big club. So wait, I, because I, I, I'm very curious. I, I'm like really fuzzy on this. I went to New York and I mean, I went to Vegas in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I was there and I was with Neva. We were DJing. During that era, you were traveling still? You were doing out-of-town out gigs? Well, the, 
we connected in Vegas because I was going to to reach had put me on to these dudes in Scottsdale. Right. And I was doing a bit of Scottsdale. And that's how I started to get more familiar with the West Coast scene. And my first sort of intro into Vegas came through Scottsdale people. They were talking about maybe managing me before I ended up on Scam. Mm. And that's how I, I think I DJed at Light. And I wasn't ready for it. I remember that night being like, ugh, I just wasn't ready for it. It's just a different Light fucking, in the Bellagio. Yeah, it's just a different, well, not Light. No, it was Jet. Um, jet, jet. 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 Mm-hmm. I was just not ready for it. Yeah. Like, it was fine, but it was not great. It's, and not, it's not a vibe. It's no. like literally you're shoving cocaine down people's yes. ears. And yeah. I didn't know. I had no uh-huh. idea. No idea. And I just wasn't ready for it. But you get if you have it, you if you're young and hungry, it, it's hard. You, you figure Vegas out. It's hard, though. I mean, it, it takes you, a couple times. You figure it out, but it's hard when, you, when you're on that New York vibe and you're trying to make it sexy. And then you go to Vegas and they're like, you know, like, come on, man. Like, play the sh-, You know, yeah. they want to hear the shit. They want to sing along. They want to wild the fuck out. Yeah, just hammer them. So... But yeah, so I was going to Scottsdale. Reach put me on with these dudes in Scottsdale, so I was going out there a little bit. And then I kind of saw that I was like, this shit, this is where this is going. And I knew Vice and all those dudes were doing that sort of like Abe Froman thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do you seem like I could kind of like do this thing? Like, And I tried to connect but it, with them. Wasn't it great to just see that like kind of unity of DJs? Like, Yeah, it seemed really cool. It seemed really cool. And you had Stone Rock. So Abe Froman Showman was Stone Rock, Graham, DJ Five. Vice and, and Obi and Obi and then Cobra. Yeah. And when I first moved out there, A Froman showing, I'm like, these guys are fucking clowns. Like, but it's like, <laughs> no, I don't mean like in a bad way. No, but in a New York way, you're like, you're what like, are these guys doing? Yeah, like, like what the fuck is y'all doing? These guys are like, you know, they're goofy. They were like but, jokesters. <laughs> but but there was like a unity to it. So I was like, yo, that's real. Like, that's how these motherfuckers are cool. Like they're doing some shit together. Yeah. And I remember you coming out and I don't what I'm trying to figure out is this, and I don't know whether we should go down this way or this way. Whatever. I will <laughs> what? So how did you get into scam artist management? But then I also want to talk about production. Or I want to talk about how we kind of got into extended mixes. Like we were okay. like, well, let's hey, do it. we'll do it both. Well, let, let's talk about production. Okay. Or like just, so like when, so like, cause we were, we're the generation that came up with Serato, right? Yeah. So we were obsessed. I was obsessed. Remember the first two years? We were obsessed with getting music. Yeah, you got to get it all. You got to get all the music. Decent quality. And every. I remember I used to spend fucking six to eight hours a day transferring vinyl well, to, through, uh, to MP3s. We did a different thing. Uh, me and a couple of the kids that worked at Turntable Lab who had, you know, gone on to start working, working as working DJs. We all kind of got together and started looking for stuff on CD. So we sort of pooled resources. I, I, did, I did the same thing, but not everything was on CD. No, but you be if you get a few people working on it, you can find a lot of shit on CD. Yeah, yeah. Like a, not everything is on CD, but you can find a lot of shit. And you can get kind of what you need pretty fast. So my my uh, like my iTunes crate or my iTunes folder or whatever, my music library. My library was one of the ones in rotation because I would give it to you. Yeah. And then I gave it to Sean and I gave it to like all of these other DJs. And mine was pretty extensive, right? Yeah, it was. It had a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I would transfer vinyl and I would start creating extended mixes. Yeah. We'd be like, yo, 
well, now's the perfect time for us to create the perfect extended mix. Like I've always wanted, I needed an extended mix for this. Now I can actually do it, which is insane on record because you're literally forced to play whatever version is on the is, record. Is on the record. And there were some like hot mix and these things, but they were mostly shitty. I thought the vinyl ones. They would do these whack party breaks, or I'm I'm very, especially in my old age, I'm very anti. I don't use eight bar intros. Yeah. Like maybe in the course of a night, I'll play two or three things off of eight bar. I generally don't use them. Sort of like you figure out the record was made this way. You figure out how to use it this way. If there, if it really doesn't work, okay, sure. But I'm not I'm not into them particularly. I don't really use them, especially with the new rap stuff. All these new rap records. They have some little noise. There's an intro and then there's like a little or like a a synth thing or a little laser and then the beat kicks. Not all of them, but there's a lot of records like that. And when I find that those things to me always sound better than the eight bar intro. So if I can kind of get that little drum roll or that laser wave or whatever it is, like one's coming out and that's coming in, it gives it the mix becomes more dynamic mm-hmm. yeah. than if it's just beat. I feel I feel the same way as you, but you were on my ass the other night because I played an eight bar intro of uh, Fat Joe all the way up. Oh God. I mean, <laughs> to see a seasoned professional <laughs> with a history in a game that's so respected play a eight bar intro of all the way up. It was, it was sad. <laughs> I mean, it Wait. was just sad. And it wasn't that you played an eight-bar intro of All The Way Up. It was that the one that you played had drums under the drop. Nothing could stop me. I'm all the With way. the fucking kick and snare behind it. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Did you just start de- Like, what? Oh, I was so, so sad. To my defense. There's no, this is indefensible, my, but to he's going to try. The drums match very well with what I was, what I was mixing out of. What were you mixing out of? Uh, well, I don't really want to say, but I, I mix out of the song and it, it matches pretty well to me. The drums sound good. Yeah, they sound good together. Right. Um, and I don't know why I don't want to say because I don't want people to steal my dumb. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's how it's like. He's like he's protecting his mix, guy. Well, I don't oh, know. they will. They yeah. will. You yeah. remember? You remember David Barry? Yeah. David Barry was this kid in New York. He does house now, but he came on the um, he came on the scene young, and his he was an AM baby. Yeah, he was an AM baby. He could scratch really good. Like there's a lot of these kids out there that have innate talent for they just pick it up real quick. Like mm-hmm. they can if you show them a set, they can do a set. They're like little virtuosos, but they can't make up a fucking thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Barry was like the genius kid who didn't use headphones and everyone hated him because they didn't use headphones. And everyone hated him because he was a little asshole. And his dad was rich or whatever whatever they hated him for. But in his defense, like he was good. He wasn't a bad kid and he Mm -hmm. sort of done his own thing. But at the time, I remember I was DJing here and there at 10 June and he was there a lot because Eugene loved him because he was his little like AM or whatever. And he kept bugging me for this record that was like a party loop from the Jazzy Joyce um, it's got the Jazzy Joyce's. I'm sure you remember this record. It's got the horns from um, dra- like a Dragon horns in it, and it has this brat beat. It's a party break. Get on up, get yeah, on yeah, up, get on up, right left. Yeah, Barry kept bugging me and bugging me for the the right left, the Jazzy Joyce beat because 
I mean, I bought that shit on vinyl. I recorded this shit myself. Right. And I used to use it. This was a love generation. Yeah. So I used to play that shit and then put the love generation drums over it and use it as a, like a party break. Mm -hmm. And in Tenjun, Love Generation, that was their, you know, I don't know, Stairway to Heaven. I don't yeah. fucking know. They loved that song so much. And and he bugged me for so long. Finally, I was like, all right, here, I'm going to send it to you. So I sent it to him. And I walk into Tenjun a week later. And it's like, get on up, get on up with the fucking Love Generation drums. And right. I was like, this motherfucker. <laughs> and I was just like. I just was like, how are you going to fucking give you this thing? Just make up your own shit. Use a different fucking song. Like, do anything. But just do what I was doing with it. It was so annoying. What, what was his response? I don't remember. But it, I was just like, I was just like, oh, I'm never giving you another fucking record. But it was so annoying. But don't you think that that new generation, the, the AM babies? Yeah. Who wanted to just recreate AM sets? Yeah. What is, I didn't understand. Like, it was a weird generation, right? I don't, yeah. I don't Where they know. didn't want their own style of DJing? Because they, they got into DJing because of AM. It, it was cool and it was how you got famous. They, and it was like how you were cool and got famous. They didn't get into it because they, like, for the whatever weird, everyone has a different reason, right? But your reason is different than his, it's different than mine. But those kids but got. It, but it's in the same circle of the same vicinity of the same reason, which is the music and I don't think the so. parties. I, I don't think so. I, I, see what I don't think saying. it's the music. I see what he's saying. Like they're doing it because that was the first DJ that blew up to kind of be like a celebrity. Who was on People Magazine so like, and shit. I want to be a celebrity, not necessarily I want to be this great DJ. Right. Maybe? So if you look at the art world, I, for a long, long time, was, I, you want to be an artist. It's a sort of a life of poverty and maybe your shit, it doesn't really pop until you're dead and you, you, know, you struggle your life doing this thing, creating this work because you believe in it. And then in the Warhol comes along and the other artists come along and these artists become rock stars like a Damien Hurst or whatever, uh, a, whoever you want to call it, like a Banksy or whatever. The artist becomes a rock star and it, the kid looks and says, well, I want to be a rock star artist, right. not I want to spend my life like devoted to this craft. It's almost like- kind It's very of, American. It's like what we're witnessing with like Virgil Abloh, right? Who's yeah. like who's like a designer and who's doing these uh who has these concepts and ideas and what he's doing is very uh recreatable. I don't know, like people can like you know, he does the quotations, right? Yeah. And any you know, a lot of kids can do that. Yeah. And that in itself becomes the art that I can recreate this and I can be a part of it somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know, that, that whole generation was weird. It, like I said before, it was a bummer for me because I was really into the New York style and I felt like that was the, you know, the purest essence of the art form. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the whole thing happens and that becomes a thing. It, what were we talking about? The extended mixes. Extended, okay, so, my, yeah, exactly. But it was a thing where, like, you know, never, never would hit me like, yo, let's trade. Remember? We yeah, would yeah, yeah. Everybody was on like AIM. DJ, you DJ could nerds, we would meet up and we would spend like four to five hours just sitting on a couch watching tv surfing the internet and and then literally trading music like do you have this do you have this yeah do you have this it was fun yeah. and we would just trade it and it was like either jump drive jump drive or i, I forgot what the fuck we did we, but i see his aim a lot you just yeah. talk people on aim and trade yeah exactly it was on forward. aim and then it also became about like yo i remember it would be like yo man i just did this mix and i added this joint and it, it was like the beginning stages of production. Yeah, for us. Ableton helped everybody a lot, yeah. I think. Because I did a few little, tried to do a few little party breaks on um, 
logic, but once I got Ableton with that warping, it made it really easy. It didn't sound that great. He came, like, when you were in Vegas, remember, we were just yeah. hanging out, and he, he you, guys, you guys did a mix together, <laughs> right? Um, Pump It over Pretty Brown. Oh, we just put, uh, uh, I was show, I was just showing, I was like, this is how it works. You take the thing, you line this up, we'll put this He drum. was like, name a, name a, name a drum. Yeah. And I did a drum. I forgot what the drums were from. It's from a Black Eyed Peas song. Yeah. Pump it, pump it. And then he was like, and I'm just going to put it over this. And then we did it. Yeah, and it takes it, like 10, five minutes. And then we were just like, hey, why don't we just release? Well, but that song worked. I played it in, yeah, I, in I played the club. It like yeah. a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very of that era. And then it was like, and then we were just kind of like, oh yeah, let's call it, call it like Rockticon, Crooked, Crookticon. Yeah. And we did like the Crookticon extended, but it just kind of like, <laughs> Traveled to everybody. Yeah, but that era was fun because suddenly you but, we, we're no longer limited by vinyl. But that became the rare vinyl because if you were in a club, like you said with Barry, yeah, if you played the Crook the Con Brown Eyed Girl yeah. remix, and a new DJ was there, they'd be like, "Oh fuck, yo, can you send me that?" Yeah, and yeah. you could be like, "Nah, nah I can't nah, send I can't. that to you." <laughs> no, that's or not be for like, you. "Oh shit, you made an extended version of that, like." Yeah. Can you send that to me? Like, nah. Oh, yo, you traded music with Rock. Like, oh, do you have that that he gave it to you? I'm like, yeah, but I told him I could give it to nobody. <laughs> we, I remember shutting down so many DJs and being like, yo, no, I can't send that to you, man. I can't send it. Remember? And then when Serato did the blackout. Oh, thing? yeah. I never used that. I always thought that was a little corny. <laughs> when, when you yeah. couldn't see. You couldn't see. You, you yeah. type in like a little you, special code. Yeah. yeah. You the, it was you like an AM thing, right? Yeah. They called he it the doing, AM He mode. loved doing that shit. Yeah. yeah. I was never really into it. I was like, eh. Wait, what are you going to do? You oh, get the songs? You're not going to play them like I can. So then Love Generation, to me, was the song that brought... Because we were always playing house and mixing it up in New York. Yeah, especially when, it, when you got a more Bridge and Tunnel gig. Yeah. You always had to pack a few extra house records because those Guidos, they love that shit. <laughs> then Love Generation, so when I, moved to, when I moved to Vegas, they were like, why are you playing house? Oh shit, he's playing house. He's playing one more time. He's playing like Break for Love. He's playing Paul Johnson, Get Down. And, all. Yeah. and they were just kind of like, I can't believe he's playing house. But it was what we were doing in New York, like yeah. heavy, heavy, heavy. But Love Generation was that song that kind of started the house movement. It was in New York especially. Yeah. I felt like it brought house back into the bodily right. upscale clubs. And Bob Sinclair was really the forefront of that because he did that. And then Love Generation and then World Hold On just fucking ripped ripped everything up yeah it was those records were so big so then i remember you were sending me a, a world hold on oh with the jungle brothers on it so you were sending me an edit of world hold on and you were like how does this sound i'm like yo this sounds dope and i was like oh maybe like change this here and there and then you were like yeah 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 and then it just fucking blew up remember what my edit? I mean, all I did was put the Jungle Brothers on the beginning. But that was big. Everyone, everyone played it. Yeah. But no, no, no. You had an extended version too, without it. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. Do you know yeah, what I'm too, talking uh, about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like a. I felt like it was like two minute extended. No, 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 no. Be, before the verse, that kicked song in. was like hard to. Oh, because this is the thing. This is what you're talking about. Yeah. There was, there was the long big house club version of the song and there's the radio out of this song right yeah and the, i felt like the one was too long and the other one was kind of too short right and i think i kind of clipped them together but you clipped them in a way that was like really really good 
Do you know what I mean? Where it just kind of went straight to the vocal. It went. It was to the point. But it was like echoing in and out. And I remember like the first version, the drums would go out and then you put it back in. Remember? Yeah, maybe that was the Madonna one. I don't know. Was it? Oh, I know what you're talking about, I think. Fuck. I don't know if I even have that anymore. I have it. Hold on. I got to look it up. I mean, it's just a song. <laughs> I don't know what I... I think I just spliced it together. I think the song was just good. I think, I think you're giving me credit that goes to Bob Sinclair. That's yeah, the, it's the Jungle that's Brothers, the Brothers one. one. Yeah. I think you're talking about the extended one. That one. Yeah. Well, anyway. No, no, no. But that extended to me... I don't know. It was just because it was so hard to play the, some of those songs, like Love Generation. I yeah, no, Love Generation was Love cool. Love Generation was cool, but it had like a fucking 34, 32, or sixty-four bar intro. Yeah, and it's like you know what I mean. It was just like you had to. It know, didn't hit. It you, didn't hit for like a commercial crowd, right? And you, as a DJ, you had to learn how to skip through the records. Well, so first we were making edits. I stopped, kind of stopped making edits because I was just got better at using the cue points and figuring out the program. I was just like, well, I don't really need to make an edit. I'll just skip through the song myself. I'll just right. do the work. And it looks like I'm busy. Like instead of just sitting up here playing an edit, I'm cutting through the song myself. So it makes it look like I'm doing a bunch of work. Like I'll just do the work in front of people. So it seems instead of make the edit. So I just looks like I'm like working really hard, like sweating at the turntables, like really doing it. For, for me, I was, I was never that coordinated. So I needed, I needed like the edit <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> you know, like I could, I could like, you know, it was just, to me, it was like another thing to remember. Yeah. I know what you mean. So like, if I'm mixing, I'm like, fuck, I forgot to hit, hit the number three. So it hit the first verse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we'll hold on. I got to hear the original actually later, but it was just one of those records where it's like, God, like the radio edit had it, this, it, it was, didn't hit the it radio edit. Hit. The radio edit was compact in this way. that was really good, but it sort of needed an intro it needed a few, I think it needed a few extra bars and it just seemed, it just made sense. Like, oh, uh, you need to play the radio edit, but it's kind of like too short. It doesn't come in quite right. So I just kind of like put it together. And then the way. the way your extended mix uh, like worked, you could run an acapella and you could intro it better. Yeah. I would Does that make sense? Yeah. I would do when I was just, we got to explain that during this time it was big. Everybody was doing different. Like, no, everybody was doing this West Coast style acapella. of DJing of Cutting the music out, scratching in an acapella, and then building the playing the eight bar intro into the song. Right, and which wasn't bad when you did it right. When you did it every twenty minutes or fifteen minutes, it, was it wasn't bad. And when you when you chose the right ones to use yeah. and to use the, to maximize them and use the right party breaks. But there was these West Coast DJs that did it every fucking right. mix. Of course, it was like non goddamn stop. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, and I think that was the argument or the thing i was talking about with jay espinoza like that style of just like <laughs> introing out something uh like uh playing playing the acapella you know let mixing me see, in let me see those hands let me see yeah, those yeah, yeah. hands let me see Mix. those hands let me see them <laughs> let me see those hands let me see those hands dropping an eight bar mix or 16 bar mix uh extended mix and then letting it run for eight bars and then scratching it out for the next eight bars and then playing the song and it just didn't work for energy in the in the club to me. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I learned a lot from watching Analyze in DC, and I just tried to apply what he did with the hip hop stuff, and just pick the best parts of the record and just apply that. Like, let me get the best little pieces of this and put them together the best I can. So, when you were in Vegas that time, was it the beginning stages of like? I remember we were trading music. We did that Crook the Con thing. Yeah. And then we went into, uh, I think, like my studio room, and we were like fucking around with acapellas and stuff yeah. like that. And you were showing me some ideas that you had, and I was showing you some stuff. And it was like literally kind of the beginning stages of like major, major mashup shit. Yeah, but people were doing, I was never that, like as a DJ, I was snotty about mashup before Serato was. I mean, like, to be honest, we we both hated it, but we knew that it everyone was just popping. Everyone in New York was kind of like, "Well, we already DJ like this. We just yeah. DJ like this, and I don't need to put like two wacky things together. I just play a bunch of different shit during the course of the night, and it's cool." But it was the MySpace era, and it was like, "Oh, you want it to be on like the MySpace mashup yeah, DJ? You have, to, you have to like have something on your MySpace that you did that yeah. sounds cool." We thought it was like we all thought. I don't know. Like everyone would call us mashup. We're like, uh, "We're not mash. Like we're yeah. just we're just DJs." Because at the time, like you said, we were just doing what we're doing. But we were putting these things together. I remember, and this is where it comes in with scam, because this was around the time maybe when you were in Vegas, you were talking about all. Well, I don't know if I'm going to sign with these guys or you were talking to them. Yeah. And you were also talking to Mark Ronson and stuff like that. Yeah, remember? like Mar- Mark's guy, they put me in Mark's manager. I had a meeting with them and they put me in stereo for a night and I bombed there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was terrible because I didn't like stereo was very white kids headbanging to Dipset. Which was at the time, all the gigs I were playing were very kind of mashup y, crossover y mm-hmm. at the time. And that was what I've kind of been doing. And so my radar was not like that hip hop muscle, if you don't flex it, it atrophies. That greenhouse, like tunnel fucking banger shit. Like if, if, uh, for me, if I, I'm not, I'm not gonna be locked into that always unless I'm working a night like that. So I, I went and did this night at Greenhouse and it just fucking sucked. I was playing like Salt and Pepper Push It and they want to hear like Dipset. And, and it just what didn't, it wasn't, I don't know, maybe my attitude wasn't the right fit or whatever. I just sucked and like, it just didn't make any sense. And I just wasn't, I, I wasn't, like like Steve Lewis wanted me to be Andy Brown. It was an, it felt like another one of those things where like they're looking for Andy Brown and I'm Roxicon. Not that they had asked for you know what I mean, but just they look they need a guy that's a first and last name right. name guy and they don't need me. And I've always kind of been this weird in between DJ where I could do the marquee upstairs because I know that music. And I know, I, have, I feel like I've had good taste in that music. I know where the line between garbage and not garbage is. And I'll cross into garbage, and, and the, but, but, not, but do it in a tasteful way and put it together. But I also can, I can if I worked a muscle, I can do that like tunnel banger, like greenhouse night. Yeah. But I've sort of always kind of been in between and... I was never, like, I maybe should have sort of stuck to that sort of rock, the Wednesday night thing, or stuck to this thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Does yeah. that make sense? Well, 
Um, but any, any, what was the original question? The original question was uh, with Mark Ronson. Well, you were looking for management. We I were was talking looking, it about was management. In that era, I, I felt like I've always felt like I've been able to sort of see things coming or sort of see what's happening. And in that era, I was like, oh, this management thing is important. Right. And I was after management. But this all sort of goes back. When I first moved to New York, I was doing some underground stuff, like playing funk and soul and go, hanging out at APT a lot. Yeah, That sort of Rich Medina kind of vibe. I was of that vibe too. But it, I made I made a decision to be like, well, I'm just gonna be a club DJ. It pays better, and I don't ha I don't have to be a promoter. Because those dudes that were successful, the sort of Bobito, Rich Medina, a lot of those guys that were successful in that zone, they were promoters. Yeah, and they had a crowd, and they were good with people in a way that we've, as we've heard, I'm not, I am not particularly good. <laughs> and so I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do the club shit. It's fun anyways. And maybe that the music but, isn't but those, as... But those guys are selling a movement. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. right. And I, I just kind of wanted to DJ. So right. I ended up, I made it, made a decision to focus more on the club shit, less on the sort of like cooler, soulful stuff. Right. And, and in that decision, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. These... People on the West Coast seem to be, this seems to be where the money is, where you can travel around. It's like, we're not going to, nobody's like flying me to DC and Philly to fucking DJ. You know what I mean? Right. They got mm -hmm. their people. And it seems like this stuff out West is where there's money and people are making a little paper. And where the innovation, it, also the innovation was happening there. Like we were using this program. It was changing all the time. We're cut, splicing together different music. And that part of it was fun. Right. The, you know, making the edits and, you know, the restrictions of vinyl are taken away. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to, like, what am I going to do with these new tools? And it was exciting to me and I found it exciting. And so I ended up, you know, I seemed, the vice seemed like someone that was on the come up. So I, you know, reverted to my old days of being hungry and like kept out those, like hit those dudes up was like that guy was like, well, you guys are in town. Like, let's eat. Right. And it, I liked them, but it was also calculated career move. Right. Which I'm not like whatever i'll be honest you know yeah. what i mean like it's not like i don't like dj5 or fucking vice they're great guys and they're in my industry and I had a great time hanging out with them but it's also these are the people that i needed to hang out with to you know better my career yeah yeah mm -hmm. because you know if it was up to me i'll probably you know dj three nights a week and like hang out at the fucking skate park Right. You know, and maybe I should have fucking done that. <laughs> maybe I'd be in a better place now. But I was like, I'm about my career. And I'm going to make decisions about what I do that reflects that drive. And so I'm going to hang out with my peers in the industry. So it, I, I don't know if I'm sounding like, like shade. Does it sound shady? I don't know. No, no, but no, like, no. it's the job. Like you're, you this is a job that you have to live the job if you really want to succeed. So it's, I just started building living the building job. contacts and, yes. and relationships. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I come from a sort of Gen X, 90s rock kind of, you know, Kurt Cobain told Courtney Love to take the Lexus back. You know that story? Yeah. And like, I'm not a big Nirvana guy, but I come from an era where that was a sentiment. This guy's a fucking multi-platinum rock star and he gets mad at his wife for buying a Lexus because like too bougie. I come from that. I come from the DC area with fucking Minor Threat and Fugazi and the punk scene of like, we don't want to do corporate shit. We well, won't do advertising. I, I talk to Neva about this all the time. Our gener, well, my, our, you and I, our generation, and how it's kind of held us back from selling out. We're stuck between old school, 
grimy, like we doing that shit. You right. know what I mean? Like we're stuck. We're like stu- keeping it real. Yeah, we're stuck between like Grandmaster Kaz, like these motherfuckers from Sugar Hill stole my rhymes. Like fifty years later, yeah. he's still talking about that shit. <laughs> like we're stuck between that and like the modern generation of like the selfie generation or whatever you want yeah, to like, call it. They'll fuck. They will fucking do anything, say anything. They don't for fame care. or money. It yeah, they matter. don't. And it's not. It's not wrong to them it's part of the business yeah mm-hmm. where where when we start doing anything mildly outside of character or that we think is like not real quote quote the, real the self-loathing comes and then we start saying what am i doing i'm not being myself right. i'm not you know whatever like but, the, that. but our problem is that we'll like kind of dabble in that We'll like do some of it right. and then pull back. It's like, ah, oh, I'm going to do something. Like, I'm going to be on scam. When, when in actuality, we should have just, just gone with it all the way, kind of, right? If you want. If you want to be like, successful. I did that, quote. right? Yeah. Like, I did that. Um, well, I want to talk about. Okay, let's, yeah, you, you signed. You, you, you would like. I remember on the table, we would talk. Do you remember like, when I signed with Scam and we went to that party? <laughs> it was like Suja's birthday party and, yeah. the, and Homicide had just got on. Yeah. And it was like your coming out. It wasn't my coming out. It was out. like your Rockefeller chain. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like your Rockefeller chain moment. So me, me and Crooked, we go, I had just got on scam because Sujit, I think Sujit had moved to New York for his job at the label. Mm-hmm. And so he moved to New York. He's managing DJs. Like, well, I need somebody in New York. And they, they ended up getting me because right. it just, I was fresh and they could work with me. I wasn't. I was established, but not so established it would be a problem. And, and from his point of view, from his point of view, it was like white boy. Yeah, I need a white boy. Yeah, I needed a we white boy. We got a lot of minorities on the fucking yeah. on a roster. Yeah. Like uh, we need a you, white boy here. LA was real. When I first got on, LA the people in LA were very like, oh them. It's like, oh them. Like, you gotta realize like Vice like was the is like the Mexican DJ Jackie Robinson. <laughs> And the club owners, <laughs> the club owners in LA before AM kind of got vice into that world, they were not booking a Latino DJ. So like, yeah, not so a one. Would you like? So everyone looked at Scam. They looked at Vice. They looked at the radio DJs. Like, yo, these are the hood yes, Mexican yes, DJs. Yes, and, and it they was, There's no fucking way they're gonna DJ our party like the our. Hollywood, you know, like yes, and in LA, it's not even sort of suggested. They just say that shit, and and to me, it was just like I don't know. These guys are making moves. Like I didn't care, right? Um, but my thing is, you had an opportunity to sign with, um, to run with also Mark Ronson's. I did, but I didn't though, because it didn't really work out. Like I said, I bombed at stereo, and it just didn't make sense. Oh, uh, okay. And like we didn't, they didn't, re- like I don't know if they really saw. I don't think they knew what would have known what to do with me. Like no one knows what to do with me, you know, <laughs> still. But Sujit, Sujit kind of did. And I, you know, I ended up getting with them as well. So we go to that party. Yeah, in LA. And, and I can't remember. I know where it was. It was like at a Hollywood club, but it was a grimier Hollywood club. It was big. Yeah. It was packed. It was huge. It was packed. And your, Rocket, your Rockefeller chain moment. My chain moment. <laughs> And then and Homicide had just got on too. Yeah. And I don't know where he was before, but he was working a lot. He was tight with AM and he mm-hmm. was in Sugar Ray and he got booked a lot. Right. And so it was good. That was big for them. And then I remember Homicide got on the tables 
And you were like, why doesn't he fucking get off? Like, they got to let you play. And you were so mad. You were like, this guy's a fucking turntable hog. Well, he didn't want to get off. Turn, no. He- turntable hog is crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this, is, this is the funny thing. So, like, everyone got half an hour, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was like, it was like half an hour and it was like 40 minutes. And it was like 45 minutes. And, and he just, he ended he up closing would, it out and I didn't never got on. And he never got on. It and was, I was just like, yo, you, like, this is your Rockefeller. Like, everyone is here <laughs> to see you get on the shit. No, but it was it was his moment. You did mine. get on, didn't you? Not like, really. I don't, maybe I did for a second. I, I feel like maybe I didn't even he get like, on. He got like 10 minutes to play. Yeah. But no, I was nobody like, Nobody said anything? Nobody told him to get off? I felt like his fucking, like, his, nah. like, what do you call those? those like, those, uh, those child star moms? I felt like I was your child star mom. <laughs> like let my let my baby get on the turntables. Like he's a star. Like you let him shine. I was like, yo, because I was like, I was really like happy for rock. And I felt like you know, like as far as like like the New York kids, like we ain't shit. I mean, you know, I, I remember having conversations with him. He's like, why'd you fucking move to Vegas? And I said, because I'm gonna end up being one of those DJs in New York that end up doing like metronome. You know what I mean? But at that time, for some reason, we all wanted to be like doing. No, we live in a fucking racist society. Yeah, we wanted to <laughs> do like DJing, the celebrity party. If you're DJing though. for white people, it means you're doing better. Exactly. It's, cra- it's fucking crazy. The parties are <laughs> shittier. Yeah. The crowd is shittier. The energy you get back from the crowd is shittier. But we gotta, we gotta do that because fucking Leo's there. Right. With some models. We wanted to it's do. Ridiculous. We wanted the stigma. We wanted that uh, that title of being a celebrity DJ, yeah. where you were like accepted. You were doing like the movie premieres. You were doing like the uh, the fashion show week parties. Yeah. You wanted to be that DJ because we knew we could have been the everyday kind of like hip hop, you know, lounge DJ or like a metronome DJ or anything like that. Being one know? of those DJs is like so much more than being good at the job, though. Yeah. As we all found out. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of politics. It's a lot of ass kissing. It's for the Instagram generation. It's like not for they're incredibly people are really good at it. It's not uh, it's not for me. That's for sure. But yeah, so I got on scam and Sujit. Sujit, that's funny, that's funny you remember me getting so mad. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was so funny. It was homicides of like eight towels and sweat pouring off of them. He he kept going though. He was hitting the acapella loops hard. Yeah, and then, <laughs> I remember that shit. That's oh. crazy. And then wait, so so I get on scam yeah. and Suja puts me on the road and like go here. First place I went, San Jose, seven fifty. You know, for seven fifty. Which was, you know, fine for me. I didn't mind. I was making five hundred bucks in New York. I'll go to San Jose for seven fifty. I'm gonna like make about the same amount but of money. Flying from New York though, right? Yeah, but I was excited. I couldn't right. wait to get on the road. So I went to San Jose. That was really something. But I did a good job. And everywhere I went, I, you know, I did the best. I just tried to do the best I could. I tried to, you know, be nice. And obviously, I was my weird self. And Sujit's thing, who'd be like, "Hey, rocks weird." But he's a good DJ. He would tell the venue. Oh, yeah. He would tell whoever booked me. He's like, yeah, just heads up. He's weird. <laughs> like, he's fucking weird. But he's a great DJ. Yeah. And, and he, I, I had the conversations with him. I, I would bitch about it. I would be like, blah, 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 blah. But I would do the best job I could. And just, I was just hungry. I wanted to make it. Mm. So. And then you were doing these edits. I was doing a lot of edits and a lot of and different shit. We got to talk about some of the, like, the standout edits would be like um, your love. I got one. Yeah, yeah, that's a big um, one. That's the that's the, that's the uh, one. Basically. That still works. 
to this day. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of the emerging, it was like when Baltimore House was emerging, you well, know what I mean? The funny thing about that is I was on that, I was sort of, I was sort of like, you know, the the uh, asshole du jour on the holler board, which was like the Hollertronics internet message board. Right. And that whole scene was really into Baltimore Club. And I was kind of like, these, all these corny suburban kids are into this shit. And it just seemed. Well, Holotronics was known. Holotronics, which was Diplo. Yeah, and, Diplo and, and low, low, low budget in and Philly. They were known for like all of these, like kind of Baltimore house. So, okay, so this, right? is a, this is a deal, right? You grow up in one of those cities where those records are played on urban radio. Yeah. In Philly, those, those records were still getting played on urban radio. In Baltimore, they're still getting played on urban radio. So if you grow up or you're living in one of those cities, that's part of the party set. So what those dudes were doing in Philly was no different than what anyone did in New York in the clubs at the time. They played an eclectic mix of music that happened to include those records because those records are radio records in Philly. Right. So they weren't doing, to me, they weren't doing anything particularly special. Mm -hmm. They're just doing a party for uh, uh, their scene, which was some hip hop people is a eclectic mix of people is black, white, Spanish, a lot of different types of people. And it was a gr like grimy parties. But musically, they were doing, you know, they play some alternative rock, classic alternative -y type of stuff like New Order and a lot of Dirty South hip hop and those club records that were radio records in that, er that area. So it'd be the same thing in New York where you're doing some classics, you're doing some hip hop, you're doing a little alt rock stuff and you might do uh, like Rough Riders type of records that you wouldn't hear in other cities. Mm. And that thing that they were doing, the guys from Turntable Labs sort of was like, this is really interesting and branded it as this special thing. To me, it was kind of like, eh, it was, it was like, yeah, okay, like Baltimore Club, I don't play that shit in New York because people don't know these records. And I don't need to play it here because like they're not New York records, but like that's cool that they're playing it. The mix wasn't particularly good. It was, it was okay, but it just, it worked. It was like this, the branding of it was incredible. And he went on to do like a lot of great shit. Like Diplo's like, He's like a Drake, you know, yeah. he puts the pieces together. Well, I always thought that, you know, he, he, he really went head, dived in head first into production, right? He was working with Him? MIA, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So let me finish the point I was going to make because yeah, yeah. I'm taking a long time to make this point. So I was on the holler board and I always kind of felt like these are, some, these are my people. Y'all some white people. And like, we, we, I know who you are. We grew up middle class. I know who the fuck y'all are. And that edit was almost like a joke about the suburban, like about my sort of middle-class white peers being into Baltimore Club. It, it was, the, the idea behind it was, it was satire about the holler borders. <laughs> like it was, a, it was kind of like a joke of like, you, you wanna make a Mary J. Blige, like, like hood remakes of something, but like this is- When this you, is what you th are. This, this is who, who you are. are. Yes. And it, it, that, that was like, that, that was the original idea that I had was like a joke. So you didn't expect this song to be as big as it, as it was? I just made it and I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Like I used the drums from Sunday Bloody Sunday mm -hmm. and chopped them up in Ableton. I was like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. And I was going to Arizona. I actually made it, the first take of it I made on the plane to Arizona. 
So I did it on that little, um, whatever that old airline was, was that we used to fly out there. I did it on a plane and played it that night at six in Scottsdale. And I was like, oh, this works. Mm -hmm. And it was basically the same when I put it out. Ugh. But the drums. I'm just realizing you took the U2 drums. Yeah. Wow, shit. And if you notice, there's no, um, you know, when... Uh, there's no velocity on anything. Yeah. Like every drum is at full volume. I didn't even know what fucking velocity was. Somebody that came, I was in Turntable Lab and I can't remember this dude. He was a cool dude, like a house dude, a producer. He was like, he was like, yo, uh, you, you don't ever fucking uh, do no velocity? And I, I was kind of like, what's that? <laughs> They're like putting out my record and then I don't even know what velocity is. This was big though. It was yeah. huge. I would I would say it was one of like it really brought be more to the forefront. But it's but the, like this the whole thing like I don't know I I know what you're saying that it existed. it's not a Baltimore club record because a that. Baltimore club record is like made for a specific scene and it's just it just has sing sing in it which is that loop that a lot of those guys use. I know what you mean, but it was still the go-to Baltimore it's, house they, record. They called it, they started calling it White Baltimore on the- For Top um, 40. Is that on, what they White on the Baltimore. White Baltimore. That's what they called it on the holler board. And like, I never, I mean, I haven't, I mean, I've told that story about making it before, but I don't know if I've ever really like told people that, but yeah, it was like a kind of a satire, but it ended up working, but it was perfect for the mashup world. Right. Like perfect. And then I see what well, I always thought that like, well, Diplo went headfirst into production, like I was saying. Yeah. And I always thought that you had a chance to be, I, I said, you could have been Diplo before Diplo was Diplo. Do you know what I mean? <sighs> yeah. But like I had drive, but that dude's got otherworldly drive. Right. And I just don't, I don't, I, I also make a lot of bad decisions, <laughs> you know? And yeah, because if you look at his production history, you can kind of track. He wasn't at the time he didn't like, he wasn't doing much more complicated stuff than I was doing. Right. And he had some help from people and I was, I just was belligerent and I didn't, what I really needed to do was get a couple good talented people around me to help me with that stuff. Right. And I just didn't do it. And I didn't find that guy that was, or that guy or girl or whoever that was down to like go into the thing and help me put my ideas together. And then, and then there's all the other stuff <laughs> that happened after that. So then, so you're on the road, you're doing I'm these on, edits. I'm on the road with Scam. And yeah. you know, that's like whatever, 2006 to eight, nine. Right. And I just, I was on the road that whole time. Every, you know, Vegas and he wherever. Was, he was gaining weight. He was eating yeah. good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I was on the road and my shit was growing slowly. And the whole thing got so big with uh, Dexstar. Everything was just crazy. Right. And I think for me, I'd always sort of been. When did uh, Dexstar launch? Like 2008? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, late seven, eight, something like that. I'd always been um, troubled <laughs> as a as a like a, a child, and I kind of, you know, I I was young. I stopped doing drugs, and this sort of music, DJing, sort of hip hop, and the whole thing became my outlet. Right. And I always felt like this DJ thing, if I can like get this popping to you know as as get as big as I would like to get or be as successful as I'd like to be, 
a sort of like things that have always plagued me, the like personal, personal stuff that's always plagued me won't plague me anymore. Right. But as you know, the E True Hollywood story has told us time and time again that no matter how successful you are, you are who you are. You are who you are, your demons will follow you. So I was on the road with Suja, had a great time, we had so much fun. But that stuff wasn't changing. And I was unhappy. And I also woke up one day and it's like, I got into this business to never have a job. And there's a fucking guy in a suit with a fucking earpiece in telling me what to do. You AKA, know? AKA the manager. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And I was like, how did this happen? I, in, I understand, especially more now than ever, like on some level, there's always going to be someone that tells you what to do, like the client or whoever. But it was bad at certain venues. It was really bad. Like, well, there's a guy in it with it in a fucking lame suit with an earpiece who doesn't understand what you're doing and doesn't understand that you're a professional telling you that what to do. Well, here's what happened in New York. Obviously, you know, bottle service, nightclubs, the scene that we were in, right, was bubbling. But it was, it was still the early f- first five years of it, something like that. Yeah. The early so. All of a sudden, it became a product. It was fast and loose for a while. Yeah. And then it became corporate. It became a product. And ultimately, when it became a product, it started to leak to other cities and states. And it became, yeah, like corporate. It became like anything in America became corporate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you started having, when they started not trusting the DJs, when they started saying, well, I'm I'm the money guy. I own this shit. Or the manager's like, I run this shit. And I, I know better than you. When in actuality, it was very it was a new concept for a lot of these cities and a lot of these venues and the managers. You know what I mean? And nightlife, like obviously you want to make money. But nightlife, if you don't put you you can't put money first. Like it can't be numbers. If you if you run it all on numbers, you don't have magic. And so there has to be somebody, there has to be some bit of, we're just going to do this because we want to. Well, you, you say all the time that bottle service killed, well, killed nightlife kind K- of, right? Kind, I mean, kind of. I mean, the, the, the marquee group people, they found a way to really monetize it and they really tightened the screws and made everything really corporate and a lot of people followed them down that road mm-hmm. of we're going to run it like this and this, and there's no room for magic when there's a, you know, I used to walk into the club and there'd be this, they have these meetings with the bottle girls and they're like, did you have so, and did you fill out a comment card about so-and-so what they liked, like what they drank? And, and it's like, these are the things that good nightlife people do. They know what you drink or what the important people do and this and that. Right. But, the way they were doing it was so corporate and so just so ugh. right. <laughs> like the Steve Rubell at studio 54, he fucking knew what everybody wanted and knew what people wanted and drank. He's like a crazy guy that kept it all in his head. Not like a weird, like just manager managing a file of information on clients. They just did it in this way that, sanitize things mm-hmm. so anyways what were we talking about before that well i was talking well we were kind of talking about shit 
Oh, the the two thousands. My journey yeah. through the thing. With scam. Yeah. So so I'm on the road with Sujit. Like things are going good. I'm sort of getting the name up, getting the rates up slowly. And you know, at AM before AM started Dexstar, he threw me a couple gigs, and then he he um and then he started Dexstar, and then it was like AM like come over with us, and I'm just like oh I'm gonna just stay over here. It was the whole thing is just. This got so out of, con- not out of control, but just not for me. I was just unhappy. Like, the music was so, I don't know. It was just weird. The whole thing wasn't, I was just over it, kind of. And I was over getting on the fucking plane. And I just wanted, I was like fat. I needed to lose some weight. And I just want to like hang out in New York and skateboard and like, you know, DJ here and there. Was it, was it that there was no downtime? In between, it was just like a constant machine that just kept going and you were on the road. It's and- a constant machine. And I, like when I... When I first started, like, I remember in the rave scene, um, when I was real young, like, you know, I was like 15, 16 going to this shit, but you heard someone's tape, like you heard a DJ's tape or you saw them play. You're like, I really like the music that he played. I really like what happened that night. Like, I want to see him or her or whoever. I want to see them again. And then you hear some DJ's thing and you're like, I want to, like, I like the music. I like what they do. I want to go see them. The this the oh the 2000s bottle thing was not about us like people didn't come to the club to see me or to see they came to see am right mm-hmm. like am could tell sell tickets but they weren't there to see us like and it, i got to this weird place where like i'm making this money and it's it kind of felt like a little bit of a pyramid scheming kind of thing where it's like, what are we really selling them? And like, why am I going to this place for $2,000 when like, they maybe can't afford this and like, nobody's coming because of, because of me. So like, why am I here? Like, why, why am I here? So it was, was it kind of like, oh, he's a white dude. He's kind of like AM. He's on that rock shit. So we're going to book rock to con. Well, I no, I mean, I think there's people that book me. They're like, wow, you're great. Like right. we like having you at our club. But there's also, Suja's thing was always like, we'll get this, we'll just get the money. Just go get that check. And which is absolutely an appropriate way to do business. You know, yeah. that's how you do business. But I'm like, so I think, I think he, I think if he had been more selective about where they sent me and kind of, I'm, you know, a diva, like you said. And so when you start sending me to, you know, like Milwaukee. Te- or, yeah, Milwaukee like, was actually fine. But I don't. I don't even know if I ever went there. I don't even mind doing that stuff. But it's just the times where I would get up and be like, "What am I doing here? Like, why am I here?" And this makes no sense. Like, nobody's here to see me. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm gonna get this check. But like, what am I doing here? There was like a lot of those times, and it just was not sweet. And I had my own personal stuff going on. And I just, I got, bo- it just got boring. It was really exciting to put the music together. It was really exciting when Serato first came out to like cut this, edit the song up and do this and look at this thing we'd done for a long time from this new angle. It just got fucking boring. And I just didn't, I didn't feel fulfilled. And there was, the, just, there was pressure from, AM to like come do the Dexter thing. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to maybe like get into doing more like house stuff. And I just kind of lost it. I I was already burned out and I kind of had a summer of 2008. I didn't do much. I did. I worked 
Saturdays at in the Hamptons and I got yeah. great money for that. Suji got me great money. And I, that was kind of like the only gig I did that summer. I did a, a few other things here and there, but I was making like two grand Saturday, every Saturday night. I kind of didn't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. I did a little of this, a little of that. And I made good money and had, I lost a bunch of weight. I was skateboarding all the time. And then it started to pick back up and they were, I was talking, I was at Tao and Omar was kind of like, I was driving around with him somewhere and he was like, yeah, we, we should maybe start really using you again and blah, blah, blah. And then they booked me for, I can't remember. I think it was for Tao. I go to get on the plane and the flight's delayed. And this, and I'm like, I want to go home. And I was thinking about Vegas. I was like, there's tons of DJs there. Somebody can do it. Crooked could do it. And Whoa. I just, I asked the stewardess, I was like, I'm going to get off. She's like, you can't get off. I was like, the door's open. I can see it. And I was like, I'm getting off. So I just got off the plane. I said, I'm not going to make it to Vegas. And that was kind of the, that was, that was it. I still worked here and there, but I was basically like, don't book, like run the shit by me. I'm probably not, I'm probably going to say no. So I, I remember that morning and you were texting me. Yeah, I'm, I'm headed to Vegas. I'm like, all right, cool. And you'd be like, I'm on the plane. I'm like, dope. And like, I think I'm walking off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm little, I was like, what? I was like, yo, come through. And like, I just walked off the plane. And I'm just like, yo, what the fuck is going on? You're like, I'm done. I'm done. And I was just like, the fuck is going on? I think I called and you were just like, I'm done. I'm tired. I don't want to do this shit. And, and I was just like, fuck, man. And I remember talking to Neva like, yo, man, I think this dude's burnt out. <laughs> I was <laughs> definitely like burnt out. But at that time, I wasn't even burnt out. I had a, like a good summer. I would broke up with this girl that had I, I shouldn't have been dating for a long time. And things were good. I was. But yeah, I don't know. I just it was just not for me. It's like still not for me in a way. Yeah. And so I just started doing other stuff. And like it was it was been a long that was like 10 <laughs> years ago. I was like almost 10 years ago and it's, I still like don't, I haven't really figured out, okay, figured it out. Before we talk about the last 10 years, right? Yeah. I want to talk about some of the good times when you were traveling. It was great. It was, so. I had a blast. One of the great times that I remember and I wasn't, I don't think I was there, but it was like, you know, obviously it was like the time of BBM, uh, Blackberry group, like oh, yeah, the group yeah, yeah. chats. It was yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. So, uh, it went to music conference in Miami. Oh yeah, do you had, remember that? Yeah, which one? <laughs> well, it was like probably a couple, but oh. I I wasn't at one of them, and I think it was a scam takeover. So what happened is the guys who ran Mansion were that was another place that really helped my career. Yeah, like they were looking. Mauricio got into it. Mauricio and Irie were the residents at Mansion, and they got into it with. Um, Roman Jones, right. who ran Mansion. And they were out of Mansion. For, they were Fridays and they were out. And Mansion Fridays, they needed someone. And it's like huge club. Huge club. 2000? I don't know. I don't know the number, but it's fucking huge. That's a big club um, with a budget. And they, they tried everyone. And Roman liked me. And like I had... At the time, I had had enough experience in Vegas right. and had done enough of those kind of places where I just, you know, was able to like finesse it. And, and I always thought I wasn't quite right for it, 
but I was a good fill-in. Like they really needed a mic person, you know? It just, the room needed uh, somebody on the mic. And if they had found, if I had found an MC to work with or like someone local that could just be that dude. Right. Because Irie did that there and it, you know, saved the night most nights. And I just wasn't that guy. So some nights, I mean, Ross can tell you because he did that place a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Some nights in Mansion, there is nothing you can do. It is just going to drag and drag and drag and suck. And you're going to feel like you did such a terrible job and this is so big. And so I had a couple nights I was just like, so shitty. Well, it's, it's hard to get a group of people that of that size and magnitude to dance and become one, right? Which Especially is- without house music and drugs. Right. <laughs> like they're drinking and, and listening to Young Jock, you know? Right. So it's, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a job. It's a fucking tough job. I learned a lot playing there. I had a great time playing there. I mean, you travel a lot. I remember the big thing was like, you know, what are we going to eat? Like yeah. getting up with the homies in yeah, different it was, cities. It was so cool. You like show up in some city to DJ and like your friend is there to DJ also. That's yeah. how much it was, it was big. Like we were, everybody was working. There was tons of money. All those guys in San Diego selling subprime mortgages were, were popping bottles every weekend. So I remember one, one old, I think it was, it was before Ultra, but it was uh, what? What did they call that? Uh, music conference. Yeah, what oh, music conference. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then. Oh yeah. So oh. Back to that. So you had a scam takeover. Yeah, so I'm sorry. So those guys were out. Uh, Roman, in typical Roman fashion, was like not going to have AM that winter music conference because he always had AM. Yeah. And whoever, and he got into it with him. I don't remember why, but for whatever reason, Sujit was able to finagle the Mansion Winter Music Conference night. Yeah. And so we did this game thing there, and it was a huge. It was big. And yeah. is this the one where you played Phil Collins? No, that was way later. <laughs> okay. that's, a, that's a great this story. This is a good story. So that was when we did a scam thing at, uh, at what's the big club in Miami now? Live. 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 It was at Live. Was it at Live? That was at Live. Oh, shit. And I was going on after someone... And I didn't feel like what they were doing was appropriate for their time. Well, that person was opening. Yes, it was early. Yeah. It was early. Like 11 o'clock? Yes. And I was on after them. You were at, on at 12. Yeah, whatever. I don't remember what it was. And I was like, this person did a, didn't really do a good job. I wasn't into it. I was like, it's early. I'm going to teach you a little lesson about opening the club. <laughs> <laughs> so I started with Phil Collins in the air tonight. I just played the whole thing. Yeah, but you got to say you shut off all the music. You yeah. got on the mic and you never get on the mic. And oh. you said, this is how you open. And then you <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> I, I seem to have forgotten and that you part. Played yeah. it literally from like the one note yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in Air Tonight. And, and, and nobody said anything. Like management didn't come to the booth. I mean, it was like it was a, like, there was kind of not that many people there. I don't remember what the crowd looked like or what was going on. Yeah. But, you know, I was into that kind of shit. I was into the old school. The DJ is the maestro diva. You know, I used to hear the stories about Junior Vasquez. Like, you're not allowed in the booth. Like, don't talk to me. Right. Like, you're not allowed in the elevator with me. Like, Anna Wintour shit, you know? And I always felt... Like, it was great to bring a little bit of that to what I did. I love doing a bit of that. Like, this story, you're always going to tell the fucking story about me up at Marquee being a fucking diva. Right. And I love that shit. <laughs> but as I've grown, I realized it doesn't, in this day and age, you can't fucking be well, like the, that. The, the thing is that as it became corporate, 
even me myself, I'm not a corporate dude. I'm not a company man. No. You know, I am in a certain way where I will work hard for you. You are really hard. I worker. will work hard. You, you're a hard worker. If, yeah. If I want to. <laughs> yeah. But I, but don't fucking treat me like I'm, a, I'm expendable or replaceable or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you got to also trust me in a certain extent, but I was never that corporate guy. And what nightclubs have become, it's become just a bunch of yes people. Like, yeah. If you defy us, or if you say we're wrong, or if you don't do what we say, you're then out. you're out. There's someone else. It has nothing to do with your talent and what you can do. Yeah. I'll just find someone else who's, who's, who's hungry and wants to do it, and they'll do it. Yeah, they don't have to put up with me anymore. Yeah. And the problem is, is that as nightclubs were shifting during the 2008 period, you just didn't want to be that guy. No. Like, I, did, I barely wanted to be playing those records in the first place. Right. And now you're going to tell me I have to play them the way you want me to play them? I didn't even want to play them. The only the fun thing about doing this was to play these records in a way that felt creative and like made me feel like I was participating in a type of art, you mm-hmm. know, a collage of sorts. And to to have that turn into, okay, play all the big songs as soon as you get on, like you talk about Vegas, and then we're going to do the show with Sandstorm at three. Right. Like they did that thing at Tal for years, like Sandstorm or whatever. Yeah, right. Was it Sandstorm? Sandstorm, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, what, this isn't, this is not what, I, fuck this. <laughs> like, fuck this. And it wasn't from, you know, I could have, and so I started to be like, I'm going to shift my career and I'm going to do more of this. Like me and my boy Lloyd started a party in New York. We were playing like house and techno and disco. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, a few years ahead of its time for that crowd. Like Diplo was still kind of like ruling the roost in a lot of that world, but we were on the shit that would come to the forefront, which is at the forefront now. Um, and that's just for our generation because people been doing that shit forever. But we, we kind of had this little synergy going and we were doing that party and I wanted to do more stuff like that. And I was working on making music like that and I was going to just turn the shit. I was just going to turn the ship. Right. And then it got... I got sidetracked and just just partied <laughs> for a few years. And you just and now you I, I talked to you and you're you're getting back into like the house and shit. You're getting back into like the disco-y. Yeah, so what I I was after the scam era, I was just, you know, I was on there for years, but I didn't really work that much. I would get a gig here and there. Right. And I was doing, I had residencies in New York because I needed to pay my rent. And then I was, I was writing. I wrote a book. I moved out here. I wrote a movie. I lived in Seattle for a year. I worked on this movie, writing this movie that's, you know, didn't, I didn't wind up selling. So I was just doing other stuff, like trying other ways to be creative. And I just wound up in LA, no money. And I sort of, I wasn't trying to, I hadn't DJed in two years, like not a thing. Like I sold all my gear when I left New York. I have all my records, but I sold the turntables. I had like three, four, I had a bunch of, like I have, I had the old mixer, the rotary that they had in all the clubs. Like I bought that shit back then because I was like, I love playing on this mixer and I'm just going to have money. I'm just going to buy it. I had them order me at turntable. I was like, order me that shit. And I just paid it for, paid for it in a couple installments and just kept it in a, in a box. You, and, you're a weird motherfucker because you yeah. love the rotary mixes. That's the best. And I, I love it because of the sound. I thought the sound Sounds always really sounded Yeah, the sound always sounded better, but they had better sound systems back then. And then, um, but you also like that dude that 
that's like you love scratching. You were one of those assholes at the end of the night. So you remember, you remember make the club? you make okay. About, okay. So you, remember like no no no. Let me explain this. At the end of the night, it's your favorite thing to talk about. At the end of the night, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the night, it would be like rock and like five at like three a.m. and it would be like a semi-packed room, and you're just scratching for like forty-five minutes, man. You remember that shit? It's not. It wasn't for 45 minutes. It was long. It wasn't. It was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wrote an email to the producers of this TV show to tell them to stop saying like pause and no homo stuff. It's 2018. It's a little homophobic. It's exclusive. You're excluding people. You're being homophobic. It's 2018. We don't say that stuff anymore. Um, Anyways. It, we didn't go on for 45 minutes, but yeah, I would do that stuff. It's fun. I don't know. Just, just because you have a fucking Harambe's hands doesn't mean you shit on me. <laughs> Harambe's hands. You know what I mean? Like, I'm you coordinated. Able to scratch I'm on, a, like, uh, on a rotary mixer, you're able to scratch? Well, the, the rain one had a fader. Oh, okay. That's what I'm saying. But he's talking about how am I, how come I can scratch, but I'm also into this other... Because I really and truly believe that, having done this for a long time, yeah. the, the pinnacle of the craft for me yeah. goes back to being out the shelter and hearing Timmy like rock all that stuff and that putting it all together in a way that's special and you don't need a crossfader to do that. Yeah. And I, I think like scratching is cool. I love, if you give me all 25 volumes of ultimate breaks and beats, including the two that got discontinued, and put me in a room, I'll spend the whole day in there cutting them back and forth and playing with them and doing that shit. I could do it all day. It's the funnest thing ever. I absolutely love it. It's like the most enjoyable activity. It's like a meditation. Um, but I also always want to do what's next or what's more. And I always felt like that, and it's sort of gone to the CDJ now and the Pioneer, but that's sort of like three, four CDJs and creating this thing that isn't so much about dropping the hit and the hit and the hit and just creating a vibe and going for a long time is a thing I've seen people do and I've flirted with, but I've never had the moment where I'm like, I'm doing it. Right. And so it's the, I want to do that. It seemed like the next thing for me. Do you I, know all these fucking hip hop guys get old and do shit. I mean, I, I miss, I miss the vibe. Yeah. I the, miss those parties where it was a vibe, you yeah. know, in Vegas, Mm-hmm. It's like the pressure. You get on and you just gotta like you gotta make you gotta play the hits. You gotta you make gotta, 1,500, people dance right you now. Gotta, you gotta make them put their hands up I, in the air. I'm like on the mic yelling. I'm like, yo, know, like Vegas, what the fuck is up? It's time to get up. <laughs> and I'm like, I sound like I'm scolding them almost. <laughs> like, y'all need to get the fuck up right now. Well, make not, make well, some might, fucking noise right now. <laughs> I'm not getting this check. I might lose this gig. Like, yeah. y'all gotta get the fuck up. I mean, people, you know what I mean? People do like to be told what to think and what to do, so it's not, you know, it makes sense. They're there to be to be directed. Yeah. Well, um, are you feeling any of the new top 40 or the, even the new hip-hop? Or oh, anything? so yeah, what I was gonna say is I found myself in LA. I was fucking broke. And I was making good money in the late 2000s and mm-hmm. I slow, it slowly died. And I haven't, I've never made good money like I did back then. I mean, I don't make, still don't make good, really great money at all. But I found myself in LA, like 
there's no money in my checking account. I'm having to ask family for money, which I didn't do for years and years and years. I'm really proud to not ask anybody for anything. Right. And I'm I'm like, I'm fucking broke. And I have, there was, at the time I had a woman living with me that couldn't work because she didn't have a green card. And so she was fucked up and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And I went and I talked to everyone I know out here and I was like, people are like, well, you could be like PA on a TV show or you could maybe intern at one of these studios and everything was just like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a job for a 20 year old. It's so hungry right. and I'm old. I don't want to do it. I'm old and lazy and think I've done some shit. I'm not trying to go be greenhorn. You know, I'm not, you know, the fucking deadliest catch. <laughs> I'm not trying to like make the fucking bait and cut the heads off the fish and shit like nah. And so it was either go, Enter at the very bottom somewhere at like 36 years old or work again. And so I was like, okay. And I did, um, you know, I scrounged up some work. You started DJing? Yes, sir, DJing. And Dizza hooked it up. He was the one who was like, come to Miami, I got you. And after not working for years, and I was a miserable bastard, I was so nervous and like grouchy about having to do it. And then my whole attitude about it started to change. Why? How so? Because because I've been working at Delilah a lot in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm there to do a job. I have a talent. I'm there to use that talent to do the job that they want me to do. And it's not about me. And it doesn't it doesn't say it isn't has nothing to do with who I am or like how I live my life. It's just how I make money. Right. And. I also have sort of been, another thing I was like, I don't want to DJ again, blah, 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 blah. And I realized one day, it's like, I've never DJed in Los Angeles, really. I don't know what it's like to be a working DJ here. So I can't truly say I don't want to do it. I I know what it's like to work in New York till four in the morning. Right. And I didn't want to do that again, but I'd never done it here. And I didn't know what it was going to be like. So I couldn't truly say I don't want to do it. So I started working again and I made some mistakes and it's been okay, but I don't, I just try to do the best job. I noticed out here, they bother you less. There's less managers in your face. There's a little less. The SBE people are a little more like a marquee, but then I've been working for the HWA guys and they're much, they're kind of a little groovier. They don't give me a hard time. Yeah. They sort of know I know what I'm doing. And Delilah's cool because it's like a restaurant. And the young guys can't really play there because it's a vibe. It's all a vibe. Mm -hmm. And it's, some nights you got to hammer, some nights you got to, you know, just chip away at it. And uh, you kind of getting back where you kind of, did, you missed it a little bit? Appreciation? Like, are you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. You know what I'm talking about. I know what though, you're talking right? about. I really liked writing. Um, and I wouldn't have minded if, I stayed on that course, but I just, I just, I had to put food on the table and I had someone depending on me and it was, I just had to start DJing. And so, I mean, I, I don't know, like, but isn't like you said, there was a good feeling where like, I have a talent yeah, and it was kind of like you were denying the talent. You're absolutely, absolutely. And I just always wondered why you did that. I don't know. Why, why do I do anything? It's fucking crazy. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I like when you like. I remember like we would talk like in the past ten years. We would talk once in a while, right? Yeah. 
And I would ask you, like, yo, when are you going to come back? And you'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, what do you, why, you, why do you keep hounding me for this? Remember? Yeah, like, I mean. Why do you keep asking me that? I, and I got to tell you, it's because of the genius I heard at Marquee. Thanks. And do you understand what I mean? Yeah. And, like, whether I like you or not, I don't think you should ever turn your back on that shit because I don't know anybody else who could have done. Like, in my whole life, there's pivotal moments that I've heard certain DJs. And it's actually affected the way I DJ. And those were one of those pivotal moments. So for me, I was like, always remember, I would be like, yo, when are you going to come back? When are you going to do that shit? You're too good. Don't do, don't stop. Don't stop. You know what I mean? And a lot of people feel that way. Like, yeah. Within our DJ friends, we always talk about, yo, what the fuck happened to Octagon? So when, when I even when hear- coming back? <laughs> yo, even if, I'm, even if you're doing a, a dirt bar lounge or like a fucking, uh, fucking pub and wherever the fuck, to me- I know that it's the beginning stages of something. Remember, like, I had a gig out here in L.A. And you're like, you know, I'm going to come along. You know what I'm saying? And when you came along, I turned around, I looked at you, and you had this face like, I could do this. I could do this room. Yeah, I, I could. Yeah, I could. Use it. <laughs> but I like that. Okay. And I want to see that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, just, I, see, I, I feel like you could get back in it. Yeah, I have to be careful, though, because I don't want to end up in Vegas. No, no, that's not... Look, if you end up on Vegas, just end up in Vegas on your terms. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. But I'm just saying, like, uh, I mean, look, look. What me and Never Do, we're whores. We've been like, you know, we're scarred. Like, <laughs> Unfortunately. We, yeah, yeah. We were, we're like battered prostitutes. So, like, we're kind of used to the shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love how I love how this podcast turned into like intervention. Like they rock the no, no. I mean, well, but but what I'm saying is that I think anything is good. It's like I don't know. It's like a, it's like it's like a you know. I don't I don't know how to explain it. But no, he don't he don't hit me too much. Huh? That's you. <laughs> he don't he don't hit me too much. He pays good. Yeah. yeah. Take care of me. Yeah. <laughs> Pay my bills. <laughs> I think anything is a good start. So like when I when I heard you would spin it, I I got happy. You yeah, know what I'm I mean, saying? it's been cool. Like I've had a good time. It's been you telling me like yo, I want to start producing this shit or doing this whatever. Yeah, I've been working on some music. It's, yeah, it's a lot of work. It is. That's a lot of work. But it beats. But yo, it beats doing like what you said. Anything else like chop? Like you know what I'm saying? You don't want to be a greenhorn. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like I was poking around this Hollywood business out here, and I. Believe I could do some of that stuff, but I don't know. I kind of had got to this place where like, okay, I'm a little older. Do I really want to like Dude, start over? There's no fucking reason for you or I or never to be be able to be DJing right now. Do you understand what, what do you I mean? mean? I'm saying that there should be a younger, better version of us. Yeah, but it's the DJ thing. It takes a long time. But that's what I'm saying is that like those like we talked about before those yeah. kids that can mimic. Like, you can learn. When I showed up to New York, I could cut and scratch and I could DJ a party a little bit, but I didn't really know what I was doing until I was doing it for a long time. And doing it, doing it with an eye to learn. Like, what did I do tonight that was good? What did I do tonight that was bad? Like, always looking at the set and like, what at my work and like, how can I get better? Like, who's good? How can I improve? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I, whatever, I, I follow my gut, and my gut has told me to do a bunch of different things, and now it's telling me to DJ again. So I'm doing it. That's good. That's good, man. I'm telling you, the best, the best moment uh, I've had in a while with this fucking guy was, was when I told you not to. Play. 
when I was in L- all, all the way up with the intro. <laughs> it was that, but it was in my LA gig and you were standing behind me the whole time. And then he taps me on the shoulder and he's like, yo, you know, don't, you know, you, you can play the, the Drake, uh, look, look alive. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna play it. <laughs> Cause inside I was like, okay, he's like, he's orchestrating what he would do in this room. And now's the time to do it. And if I'm going to do it, I got to play that now. And then it was towards the end of the night and I was exhausted. Like, I was just like, I don't know. I was exhausted. I was like trying to get LA's that room tough, up. man. It can be tough. And, um, end of the night, he just kind of comes up and he just starts typing some shit on my computer, trying to find a record. And I'm like, okay, I, I like this. I remember these days when <laughs> the, the asshole would just come up and be like, yeah, don't, you know, you, you play that right now. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, fucking do it. And then he would come up and be like, why are you playing this? And he just start typing some shit and he's like, play this, play this, play this right now. And I like that. And I want... And I want to see, you know, I want to see more of that shit. You want to see me make people uncomfortable. No, basically. no, no. I want, I want you to do. I, it, it felt good because you know, I, I, that's your, that's, that's your shit. Yeah. You know, if anyone could do that to me or any DJ, I would, I'd rather you do that, and you have the right to do that to me. I guess. Yeah. I can in, do it to you. Back in 08, I actually opened for you at Tao. I don't know if Where? you remember. In Vegas. In Vegas. How was that? It was back when uh, the DJ booth. It was like a little skinny little ladder. You had to go up to the top. Oh, when it was up. Yeah. Oh, that was a while ago. Yeah. Because I, I even played there when they put it back down. Yeah. I remember when they put it back down. But up, like, it was cool up there. I still remember that. Like, I still remember, like, that night vividly of how good you were. Really? And, like, what you were wearing. I remember it, like. What was I wearing? Bit. It was, like, a red zip-up hoodie. And <laughs> oh, the maroon. Jeans. It was a maroon? Yeah. Mm. And, like, you had a beanie. Everyone and you're wore just chill. the American really, apparel. Everybody wore some really <laughs> bad shit in the 2000s. The clothes yeah, were yeah. so bad. And I still tell people about that set. Like, I was like, yo, that was, like, ew. Like probably one of the dopest sets I had heard of Tal. Yeah, yeah, I can do the main room, but I'm not like. I feel like I'm more like a vibe room guy. You know what I mean? So every time, so I I remember I had a meeting with uh this. It was about like fashion shit, about like new or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had a meeting with this guy, and he said uh, he's like, "Yo, did you grow up like broke?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, like it was a struggle when you know growing up." And he's like, uh. He's like, did you ever think that maybe you like you're sabotaging yourself? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's yeah. like, you don't want to be successful. Like you're scared of success because you're so comfortable being broke. It's all you've known for for your, like your early stages of your life that the second you have to like stop being yourself, which is to be successful, you you end it or you sabotage it because you're afraid of losing who you are. When in actuality, it's growth or it's, you know, moving on to the next stage. Yeah. I mean, I didn't grow up broke, but I definitely grew up with parents that were like, no, you can't have that. No, we're going to Marshalls. Right. And no, we would never drive a BMW. And like, no, we're not going out to eat. We're going to eat these chicken fingers that I made myself. You know what I mean? That kind of shit. So, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. It's also that era. Yeah. So. Fuck. Well, yo, Rock. Uh. I appreciate you coming through. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. you want to touch on? I don't know. You want to talk about Takashi Six Nine or anything like no, that? No, I mean, yeah. I, I'm. What? What? I'm, one thing I realize is I'm not the person to like have an opinion about new rap. <laughs> like, if I can play it, I can play it. If I can can't play it, I can't. And I'll, you know, be like, I like this. I don't like that. But I don't fucking know. I just if it works, it works. Let's play it. All right. Well, now, before we end this, I just okay. wanted to tell you one of my favorite mid CDs you did was the Good Life. 
Yeah, I wish I did more like that and it's less like, like the scam ones. I used to play all the time. It's like one of the best mid CDs I've. It's up there with like the top I, classics. Yeah, yeah. I, you yeah. know, I was. And you, you did that on vinyl, right? I did it on vinyl. It's like I think it's two takes spliced together, two mm-hmm. or three takes spliced together. But I was gonna try to get Turntable out to put it out as a CD, and then Jasper, Jasper who runs Mad Decent for Diplo now, was like, "And I like this song, and it, maybe take this one out." And I was like, "No." <laughs> nah, 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 nah. And then I went back and listened to it recently. And I was like, I should have just taken the fucking song out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, no, it's good. It should be there. And it was like, he's kind of right. Um, but yeah. So Which song was it? This CNC Music Factory over. Uh, it's like the CNC Music Factory with. Um, the, uh, make it funky with Greg Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's smack corny, but I. We there was a bunch of us and we just all were loving that song at that moment. So I, I just felt like, no, this is good. It has to be there. And I should have taken it out, but that's always actually, you know, I don't want to do you tell me what to do. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> but yeah. I really appreciate that because I like that C D way more than the like rock box. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Those are cool. Those are fun. Those are like legendary CDs though. Well, because no one was using Ableton to make CDs at the time. I was like, oh, I'm going to make my whole CD on Ableton and then I'm going to put a little scratch over it so it sounds alive. So yeah. it doesn't just sound like German programming. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Scan. Those helped a lot. I, I, those were, those were, people love those fucking CDs. And those helped me get a lot of work. We used to clown you a lot for this fucking CD cover. Oh, yeah. They're terrible. Like the Risky Business CD cover? Yeah. My, <laughs> my whoring days. You did some smart shit, though. Like, I remember you going to, like, uh, Winter Music in Miami and having Rastacon sl- sunglasses. Look. That was smart. If you do what Sujit tells you to do, you can be successful. But a lot of people don't want to do what he tells them to do. And also some people, I think myself included, are not meant to succeed in the way that he can help you get. Right. I don't think I was really meant to succeed in that. With his formula. With his formula. But if you are and you follow it, you will succeed. He'll work you to the bone and it'll be miserable, but that formula works. And I just, he was like, you have to have a thing. And I was like, okay, this is what I think. And I, I just try to be smart about that stuff. Like when I started traveling a lot and I had to shoot, I had to shoot photos. I was like, I'm going to flight club and I'm going to buy Jordan ones because that's what like these DJ dorks think is cool. <laughs> really? <laughs> Absolutely. Like I wow. went, when I knew I had to shoot photos, like for press photos for scam, the first round, I went to flight club and I bought like the red and black Jordan ones. Spider. Spider's here. Yeah, he is. <laughs> a spider just walked in. Are you guys doing him now? Yeah, next. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's like a factory over here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jesus. So we do. Keep me. it moving. Oh, my God. Okay. Yo, Rock, thank you for coming through, man. All right. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you, man. man. I appreciate, appreciate it. it.